of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Twenty-four hours and five minutes late to be precise. Uh, we're sorry we couldn't bring it to you as usual on a Sunday night, but Anthony Albanese gave us a publicly mandated day off from TNC. So coming to you on a Monday, Josh Parrish here. I've got Joey Lynch looking like a... Is, is that a Detroit Red Wings hat? It is. It's a very, very well spotted, Josh Parrish. It is a Detroit Red Wings little furry little number to keep me warm and keep me comfortable. I did have treatment in the oncology day center this morning so it's a bit of self-care and a bit of self-love and just a self-hug for my ears <laughs> you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take joey lynch uh wayne gretzky and uh, uh i Nick thought it was michael scott oh <laughs> uh, yes michael scott i apologize but uh yeah certainly something that alana cern took to heart when uh, she took that, took that shot from a 10 degree she's angle. got well, so she claims above- if she's got the little oh, symbol above the C now, on her shirt, it's it's a chur sound. <laughs> and she told me on Monday night at gold medal night, it was a chur. On uh, on 40 minutes notice this time, Taryn Hedo joins the show. Taryn, how are you? I'm, I'm very well. I was half expecting it. I was half ready, but I was waiting. And as the minutes sort of ticks down, I was wondering, is it? Should I ask, you know, at what point do I send the message? But no, at, at 10 to 7, I got the, the all-important DM. So, no, always always a pleasure to be on. It's actually not a DM. We actually have a spotlight. It's like the bat signal. It's like the Taryn <laughs> signal goes up. We need you. There's Matilda's chat to be had. And it says Nick DeBano on his, on his <laughs> video square there. But I, I think there's an imposter in the house. What's going on here? It's fresh uh, face. No, yeah. No. Uh, hello. Are you trying guys? to keep a low yes. profile after the the lakeside billboard last week? Uh, maybe, maybe. I had a lot yeah, of people coming up to me. In the, I, I had people coming up to me in the streets saying, you know, can I get an autograph? Can I get a photo? You're the guy at Lakeside, and I got too much. And I said, you know, I have to shave. No, no. In, in all seriousness, uh, the the facial hair had to go. Bit of a new change. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, no more Jamie McLaren for now. Just fresh face, Nick the baby now. So it's not a, it's no more, uh, you know, none of those sort of unfortunate facial hair jokes. Well, Nick, uh, have you recovered from last night when you got completely <laughs> drenched doing <laughs> sideline uh, ground announcing duties? Can, at that? can I just say? Standing out there being absolutely drenched while Joey was holding an umbrella for himself and Ryan Scott. I was like, this is just, this is making it even worse. They're standing there, you know, somewhat dry. And I am getting pelted on by like all this rain, just constant torrential downfall. And yes, I have recovered. My clothes are still drying. Like they literally just dampness everywhere. But uh, yeah, I woke up this morning with a bit of a head cold and I was like, oh, Jesus, here we go. This is it. Like, this is what, this is what I do for for the craft. But nonetheless, we got through it. It was a great game anyway. It was a great day. So I uh, can't complain too much. I got to, I got to say, Josh Parrish, he, he set me up perfectly here, you know, talking about being next to us on the sideline there and how popular he is these days, people coming up to him. At some point during the game, Nick Devano did pull his phone out to check something during oh, the can you not? Grand I told, final. I, I, and I, I, I uh, told you. Somebody mute him. Somebody mute him. And I look over 
just as he pulls out his phone and he's going to check something. And what do I see? Not one, not two, but three hinge notifications <laughs> on his home screen. <laughs> He's always on that grind. It never stops. No, not grinder. Hinge. Oh, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. This has taken so much out of context here. I take my phone out for two seconds and I just see that he feel these peering eyes over my shoulder when he should be watching the game as well. And Joey's like, oh, I saw that. I saw that. It's like you were waiting. You were waiting like a vulture, mate. Every time. Like, oh. I can't, I can't, you know. I said this joke has you to should, die. You should have got on the up. microphone there, Joey. There's been three matches for Nick <laughs> Devano. <laughs> Just informing the, all the viewing public. At, oh, I thought I could wait for TNC. Oh, I yeah. said, don't bring it up. And what did you do? You brought it up. <laughs> it's your uh, brand, mate. If you, you're a big daughter. shot, you're on billboards now. And now all, the, now all your adoring public know that it's not Tinder they need to jump on if they want to get to know Nick Devano. It's Hinge. <laughs> I've, had, I've had it i've had it i've had it this is not a dating podcast this is a australian football podcast come on leave it oh they're they're, they're coming through look at this uh antonis in the comments uh nick de eating or just nick uh, dating alex sivkarovsky nick de gigolo uh daniel in the comments nick de addy <laughs> run them memes nick de host Oh, ben Smith saying that he would it, swipe right. Oh. Uh, as as yeah. would we all. As would we all, Danny. Yeah. We don't swipe right on Hinge. You press the love button or the rose. So get your facts <laughs> right, Joey. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I'm not on the apps like you are. I can't, right, I can't throw... I met my partner of five years on Tinder. So all right. I'm not right, casting that, judgment. The dating the dating talk is over, fellas. Let, let's get into it, all right? Before we go too far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't think of a segue for this. Um, the Matildas' reaction against Canada, uh, promising first forty-five minutes, uh, second half collapsing again, second straight defeat um, in this uh, this series. Tony G under the pump. I'll start with. Uh, I'll start with you, Taryn. What were your impressions on the performance? I'm trying to think of a line that something hinged on. So, but no, I can't. I can't quite get will there. Tony G, will Tony G's future hinge on these performances? Maybe, maybe that's that's a good segue. I mean, the Matildas um, are bumbling along at the moment. So. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> this has really lit a tinderbox under the national team. I, you know? I rush home. I rush home from work. I, I rush home and then you get this for seven minutes. <laughs> Maybe when we uh, do our uh, European football up, we can talk about farmers only leagues. Yeah, the Premier League is uh, is, is Tony G's uh, appointment made to be deleted. Is that <laughs> that's the line, isn't it? All right. Um, so actually, actually talk about the football. Yes, I can't, I can't come up with these all night. <laughs> as much okay. as I would love to. Actual actual football. Um. Look, I, I I was I went to bed on Tuesday night really wound up. There's that the photo of Homer, you know, under the covers with the angry face. And uh that was me on Tuesday night. I was just, you know, the first forty five minutes, um, you know, I guess on the subject of memes, it's like, oh, had us in the first half. Like, you know, it really seemed like for for forty five minutes it was a very good performance and I think that that's the way that uh, 
that 45 minutes is kind of the master plan. And I've been thinking quite a lot about why it lasts, why we're only seeing glimpses and why we're not seeing 90 minutes and why we're not seeing full performances. And I think I've, I've come to the conclusion that it's, you know, we've talked over and over again, every, every podcast on this podcast, you know, midfield composition, uh, the imbalance in the team. And I sort of came to this conclusion. I was like, do you know what? I think that he's, he, I think that I can see a style of play that he's trying to play. I think there is a style of play that, that Tony Gustafsson wants the Matildas to play. He wants us to uh, play with high tempo. He wants us to play out from the back. He wants us to uh, be able to play through a press. He wants us to be dynamic in that. And we see small glimpses of this. The problem, of course, is that he's not putting the players on the park that will enable us to play that way. So he's saying, you know, this group of players go out and and play like that. Um, But then you're putting Emily Van Egmond in as an eighth and it's not, and, and, you know, you're playing with M Gilnick and you're playing with, you know, full respect because I think that they're fantastic footballers, but you're playing with Ivy Lewick and Claire Pockinghorn as as centre-backs. And I think that this is kind of the fundamental tension and the the fundamental issue of the Tony Gustafsson era is that, you have, I think, a, a something that could work, but he's almost like it's almost like on FIFA or Football Manager where players have attributes, and you put in the top eleven rated players on a team, and you say go. But if you want to play a particular way, you need to play players that are going to work for you in that playing in that particular way. Look, Van Egmond is the most obvious example of someone, and we've talked over and over again. Chidiak should should have been there. I mean, that's not <laughs> – I'm sure others will have more to say about that. Chidiak should have played in that eight role. It's ridiculous that she came all the way here to play 15 minutes at the end of the game. Um, Claire 13. Wheeler as well, who – 15, it was 13. 13 minutes, okay. Yeah, um, each time all Wheeler the way well. here and only got 13 minutes. So yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Claire Wheeler as well, who hasn't really put a foot wrong in an Australian shirt. I think Claire Wheeler, obviously she's a different player to, to Chidiak and does a different role, but, you know, is another potential answer to the to the midfield problem. Um, you have a number of players who were in the squad but but weren't able to play or played only limited minutes. Again, it, it's just we seem to be extremely hamstrung by the people who are actually putting on the bench. Another example I was thinking of, and sorry to, to keep going on this, but, you know, just just something that really hammers home to me, this disconnect, is I remember, so Winona Heatley, is a, she's a centre-back, and I, I rate her quite highly. She's still young. Um, she was picked in the 26th for the Asia Cup. She didn't make the final squad. When she was selected, uh, Tony Gustafsson said that the reason why she was in the 26th was because he thought that she had this ability to uh, make line-breaking passes, that she was, she was a good distributor from the back. Um, she didn't end up making that squad. Um, I can't remember if she went to Spain and Portugal, but I don't I don't know if she's seen significant minutes since she wasn't in this squad. If you're going to try and play in a way where you're going to try and play out from the back, you're going to try and play a dynamic style of play, she might not be your starting centre-back yet, but you'd think that if you're using that justification to look at her in the first place, she'd be in the squad. So 
I think, yeah, I think this is the conclusion that I've come to. This is the fundamental tension is that you've got a system that could work and we've seen it almost working, but the bits aren't working. And it's because of this, he's either unwilling or unable to play the players that will work in the system. So you either change the system or you change the players. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. And I, I often think that it's easy for coaches to pay lip service to a certain style of play and say that that's their intention. But I think actions speak louder in wor- than words and, and selections speak louder than whatever you're saying in a press conference. And when a coach is under pressure, like Gustafsson seems to be at the moment, you're going to default to what you go to when you're, when you're backed into a corner is who you really are as a coach. That's what, how I've always felt about it. And you mentioned Winnie Heatley, like her, her ability on the ball, her left foot, like that, those, those are her key qualities, but maybe she doesn't have the, the speed or the strength or the vertical leap that Tony G deep down actually, actually values in players. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go to the man wearing the, uh, the ice hockey hat. Is he skating on thin ice at the moment? It certainly felt like a turning point in the after that in the aftermath of that game and looking at the discourse and looking at the analysis that's come out after that game. It certainly felt like even amongst his most ardent supporters, patience is wearing thin. However, I don't feel as though we are going to see Football Australia move on Tony Gustafsson. Um, with full disclosure, I actually met Tony Gustafsson in person for the first time last night. Um, he was doing the presentations for the men's and women's grand final at the NPL Victoria grand final day. And he recognized me and came up to say hello to me and shook my hand. And yes, I've been copying shit from certain panelists in the group chat about it ever since, but yes, he does score very high on the good bloke index. However, He's not being asked to be a good bloke. He's asked to be the Matildas coach. and But it feels though he doesn't, like it doesn't, I can't see Football Australia moving on him for a variety of factors. One, if they move on Tony Gustafsson, they would have to already have the next coach in mind and they would have to be incredibly certain that they could get this individual because if you go out there and strike out on whoever you've even marked as Gustafsson's replacement all of a sudden you're scrambling and it's almost certain that you're just going to panic and pick somebody with decent NRI or a decent resume you probably end up with maybe a coach that was sacked after the Euros or something like that and if they weren't good enough for the European team that sacked them after the Euros why are they good enough for the Metzlers why are they an upgrade over Gustafsson the other problem is that it's not just replacing Gustafsson. One, he's got a contract until after the Paris Olympics. You've got to pay him out for that. It's a hell of an investment. And you've also got to pay um, the his replacement as well. So all of a sudden, this is getting very expensive. But it's also, we've heard numerous stories and we've seen, and Gustafsson himself has talked about just how much his support staff has supplemented the work that he's doing as Matilda's coach, you know, scouting Australian-based players, coaching games that he can't get to, that sort of thing. So it's almost like if you get rid of Gustafsson, like the entire scene has been set that it's not just Gustafsson that is in charge. 
so you can't just get rid if you're going to get rid of Gustafsson, you've got to replace the whole staff because they've been supporting him so much and the new person's going to want to bring in their own people. That's just the way it's going to work. So that's why I can't see Australia, um, Football Australia moving on him. Talking about the looking at the game itself, I want to get Taryn, you were talking about the first half, it looked promising, it looked really good. I think the reasons it worked so well in the first half, well, some of the reasons it worked so well in the first half were also the reasons it didn't work well in the second half. When you think about the circumstances heading into that game, first game at the new Sydney Football Stadium, what is essentially first game in a brand new stadium in what is essentially their home city, backs against the wall stuff, us against the world, yada, yada, yada. It was a game built upon an emotional high. They came into that game riding a wave of emotion. The crowd lifted behind them. They got on the front foot and Canada just had, were just punched in the face, basically. They were put on the back foot. They were pressing high. They were pressing with energy. But because they were relying on this emotional wave and this high pressing and there wasn't a foundational underpinning behind it, we talked about, Taryn talked incredibly well about the dynamics in the midfield and the like, which prevented that when the emotion waned and fatigue set in and they couldn't press as high and the Canadians weren't getting punched in the mouth anymore. They began to get back into the game and they took control of the game. So it's the yin and the yang. It was a great performance based upon emotion and energy, but you got to have a plan B. You got to have a foundation when that emotion and energy disappears. And you think back to the other games, like, the line is they've only won one game against a team in the top 20 being super charitable and giving them the win against great Britain as well. Pretending great Britain constitutes as England. You think about how they won those games, the Brazilian game, first game back in Australia after the pandemic in Sydney, another hugely emotional occasion where they were able to ride the wave and ride the crowd. Tokyo Olympics, that game against great Britain, it was insane. It was balmy. There was energy. There was emotion. There was everything. And they were outscored by, it was, in, the UK had about three extra XG on them in that game. That's not a replicable game. But there's a, that's a common thread there with, you know, outside of the New Zealand game, where they just flat out had better players and Gori was great in the midfield. It's been emotion and energy, which has lifted mm. them to their best performances. And that probably does bode well for a home World Cup, to be honest. But does it bode well enough to challenge? Is maybe one of the questions. I'm 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 just cancelling Joey for equating Great Britain and England. By the way, I'm going to invite Michael Sheen on this podcast, and he can uh, he can give you a thought or two about that that assessment. But I I agree with your point about. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Brazil 2014. And they rode that all the way to a semi final, but. They got undone in the end. It was, yeah, riding a wave of emotion, intensity. The way the Matildas play and the attributes of the play selected, as Taran was talking about before, favour that that style of, uh, of game, but you can't sustain it over 90 minutes. And if you look at the way the goal came about, the end of the move was fantastic, but it all originated from a terrible free kick from the Canada goalkeeper that went straight to Mary Fowler. So if the Matildas aren't forcing mistakes in the opposition half, they're really struggling to create. Nick, did you want to jump in? 
Just a, a small point about riding wave of momentum and energy and that sort of stuff, especially on, on your home soil. I mean, you've got to find a way to taper that, but also extend it overnight. If, you, if you're going to go and you're going to ride that sort of wave, getting it all out and, you know, coming out of the blocks with all the momentum like we saw against Canada and doing all that good work inside the 45 minutes can only get you so far. And if we're going to have see that, as you mentioned, similarly in how long now we've got, uh, 10 months until the Women's World Cup, not too sure how that's going to go down. Even in those group stage games, we're expected to come up against uh, lesser opposition as well. Um, I want to ask you guys this question as well, sort of a bit of a look ahead as well. We got word today, I think the, a friendly has been announced against South Africa in, I believe it's in London, if I if I read the, the press release correctly as well. Like, uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, obviously they've, they won the, the Women's African Cup, African Cup of Nations. Um, what, what, what can we expect? Like, you know, does this, it's, does this sort of, you know, go. I mean, we've played a lot of top opposition, like no disrespect to South Africa, but higher ranked opposition like Canada, and we've got Sweden in November as well. What do you guys say about sort of this game here? You know, because it is coming in only a few weeks' time as well. I think you know, with speaking as someone, I can't say I've watched a lot of South Africa to be honest, um, but it it is it is a good thing to be facing different styles of play, mm. uh, different ways of problem solving. It is definitely the case that things like midfield composition and uh, the way that we move the ball should change a bit depending on who we're playing and depending on the, the style of play. So it's, it's it's definitely a good thing, particularly in the women's game. Rankings can be very deceiving. I mean, they can, they can be in the men's game as well. That's a silly thing to say. Rankings can be very deceiving, full stop. So, you know, I think that, that having that experience against different opposition is is only a good thing. I can't can't fault that. Um, hopefully we see, you know, hopefully we see some good stuff. It's it's hard it's, it's hard to be confident of that at the moment. Could do with a win, regardless of performance. To be honest, just for morale's yeah. sake, just for PR's sake, if if nothing else, and just the the negativity that seems to be enveloping this this team at at present, because you know, obviously we had great crowds and everything, and the atmosphere at uh, at the new. SFS is, is really cool, but if they keep losing games, I, I don't see the the hype train coming in the same fashion for the, for the World Cup next year. So I, honestly, I think they could just use, use a win. Well, I was talking to somebody that was at the game and they told me that there was booze at the full-time whistle. Now that potentially could have been booing Canada because there was a lot of stoppages towards the ends that there were boos um, as well. I know Quinn went down and before it became apparent that they actually had uh, an injury, they were being booed, but it, it could have been that or it could have been a bit of a sense of frustration and a desire for the result. Now, obviously on TNC, we talk about performances over results 99% of the time, but for the general public, results still matter. And, you know, especially heading into a home World Cup when you're trying to sell tickets and create legacy and create excitement, you need to get some wins on the board. And I am looking forward to seeing them play against um, Banyana Banyana in London. I think it's going to be, let's face it, what, what, what were the two best performances of this Mastilda side under Gustafsson? They were against New Zealand, who were good-ish, but not great. They're not top tier in the women's game. Maybe that's just what they need, you know. Maybe this is where 
we finally see some of the changes coming on against maybe a, an opponent perceived being a step below the reigning Olympic champions or Sweden. We see Tony Gustafsson talks about not experimenting, but maybe we see him tinker with a different midfield setup. We see him tinker with a different attacking setup. I'd love to see Caitlin Ford being allowed to play in more central positions, for instance, and maybe her moving a bit centrally sees Sam Kerr move a bit wider out to the other side to compensate. But oh, look at that. I'm just advocating for the 3-5-2 again. Never mind. But um, and I'm I'm interested to see with the back line. Taryn, you were talking about Ivy Lewick and Claire Polkinghorne playing in the back line there. If I had to pick one of them, I might be picking Ivy Lewick at this stage and playing Ivy Lewick with Alana Kennedy. Um, like, it's a bit blasphemous given Claire Polkinghorne's legacy, but if we're removing all emotion from these things, all those fond memories of last gasp goals and amazing pitches, I might be playing Ivy Lewick next to Alana Kennedy in these games. And if we're trying to zero in on preferred lineups, Ivy Lewick, I think maybe a bit better a passer out than Claire Polkinghorn. But if you're going to Claire Polkinghorn and Ivy Lewick, bit laboured in their um, movements. So I, I if think you need we could say slow. I think we could just say slow. <laughs> if you need cover in there and you need to bring the athleticism of Alana Kennedy in, I'd be more likely to play Kennedy next to Ivy Lewick. But the biggest thing for me is just figuring out a way to create this style of football that Gustafsson has, which we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen this team play as well as they could. It's to see it deployed in a manner that allows them to do that, but also gives them a plan B when energy wanes, um, fatigue sets in, and just they can't smack people and go with full energizer bunny. And I, I wonder, so one of the things I did before this this episode, and it... I really don't enjoy watching the NWSL. Not because people are not, not because they're not talented. You know, it's 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 extremely talented players, but it's it's just, I I just really don't enjoy it. It's just anyway. I, I watched a few San Diego Wave games um, because Emily Van Egmond actually has played, I think, every minute this season or every minute up until the game that I was watching, and she's played that as a six, and. Actually, uh, in the game yesterday or this morning, I believe, uh, got two assists. So is being quite successful in that role. And watching them play, her role at in Clubland is to to sit deep. Um, when the the San Diego midfield wins the ball, um, she'll get the ball and she'll kick it long. <laughs> she'll she'll kick it to Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan will bulldoze someone and score. And that's like that's that's the NWSL. That's that's the game plan. And I. It's primary school the, football. We've got better athletes than you. Honestly, honestly, um, which is why I hate watching it, but it, it is what it is. Um, but it occurred to me that like a lot of players' realities in Clubland is 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 like that. They've they've um, you know the the dub is <laughs> can be like that sometimes as well. Has been known to be like that. Not quite that bad. Uh, as blasphemous yeah, look, as I've, that I've is I've definitely seen a couple of kick the ball to Harriet Withers games and <laughs> Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah. It, it definitely happens sometimes. And yes, there's been that transition to Europe in the last couple of years, but I do wonder if you... I wonder how much 
you know, maybe this is the, the cynic in me a little bit. How much can you coach that out of a player in at international level? How much can you say, you know, we're going to play the style of play? And I think that's why I've, I've sort of fallen on this thing of player selection, because I think that if, if you're, if you play that way and that's what you're good at, and again, I keep harping about Vanning one, it's a little bit unfair, but it's the most obvious person to talk about. Um, you know, if your if your strengths is vision and long balls, and your weaknesses are sort of you know being able to turn around uh, and and sort of play out from the back, like <laughs> it makes it. We've lost Joey. Um, it makes it, but it makes it difficult for you to then be someone that can operate in a system if you if you want to play out from the back and play a better style of football. Um, yeah, I just I don't the, the two things don't don't align for me, and I I wonder if you know it, it just the way that we're playing it in clubland makes it hard to make that transition to a better style and a, a better way of playing. I, mean, I think it's, that brings us back to the Chidiac point, I suppose, because in the same competition, she's top topping the passing accuracy, and most of those passes, if you look at the map, are forwards and on the ground. So, you know, she's been asked to play a different way. And uh, I, I think in a league where it is very kick and rush, where it is very uh, high tempo, no one gets time on the ball, um, that skill set could be incredibly valuable. But again, Gustavsson seems to view view her as a player who's going to be a sieve defensively, which I, I don't think is, is true. Seems to view as a pure 10 or nothing else. So that, that's why I don't think she's getting minutes. Um, Joey, I'd cut you off. Uh, I think... Following on from Taryn's point, I said it last week on the show as well. You've got Mary Fowler, you've got Van Egmond's pick one. Mm. Like maybe that's one of the secrets to keeping this energy high throughout the game. You just Tony Gustafson calls them game changers. You substitutes. You just have players that could play similar roles in mind. And when you see the energy waning, you just sub them out and tell you, "All right, now you're the energizer bunny. Go play the same role." Keep Sorry, the pressure is, is this? Joey Lynch or Steve Corica? Are we? Are you act, advocating for the Emily Van Egmond, Mary Fowler job, job share? share? Maybe I'm just trying to get a functional <laughs> midfield going here, Josh. But like, and okay, again, I'll come back to the point. You know, like TNC is not an Alex Chidiak fan cast. That you do have options in the midfield as well. I'll, you know, maybe if you play Fowler and Gorry up top, and you play Claire Wheeler as mm. the six. You play Kyra Cooney Cross in there as probably not as the C. I think, judging from Gustafsson comments, Gori is nailed on as the register, one of the first names on the team sheet now. That's what it appears to me. That's just me reading his into his comments and his significant praise of her. So now it's just about figuring out your 10 and your 8. Um as much admittedly as much as Gory can play those positions in a pinch as well. And you push somebody like Wheeler in. So like, do you put in Yallop, maybe somebody Yallop to run around and then put some energy in as well. I mean, I saw we had a comment about Elise Kellen Knight who the, the Elise Kellen Knight we remember would be very intriguing to see where Gustafsson used her. But how long has it been since Elise Keller Knight featured for the Matildas and put together a sustained run of, I mean, she was picked in the Olympic squad and didn't play a game. Like it's sort of, and that comes back to the discussions we've had about building depth. Like if with, if 
nobody can argue that the attempt to build depth wasn't there. It definitely happens. But if we're sitting here now talking about, oh, we'll just wait till at least Keller Knight comes back. Did the depth building really go that well? It's the same thing with like having Ivy Lewick as our number one center back backup who was talked out of retirement at the Asian cup. Yes. The attempt was built to build depth was there, but it must not have worked that well. If Ivy Lewick's still the backup option, but I like Taryn, you had your hands up. What? I mean, well, I was going to say with, with depth building, I mean, Charlie Grant's probably the best example of it. She, she's a successful example of, mm. of the depth building where she was identified as the backup right back was in a number of squads, played some minutes. Um, Ellie Carpenter's gotten injured. Now she stepped up from the role and she's fine. She's like the least of our problems. She's she's completely fine. Obviously, Ellie Carpenter is 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 world-class in that role, but Grant is completely fine doing a great job. Um, and that's we're not seeing that kind of replicated. Like we're not seeing... You know, I think for for a while, Remy Simpson was that sort of backup to, to Kerr in the nine, but then she's fallen pretty dreadfully out of form. Um, you have, I guess, Courtney Nevin as the backup to, to Catley, but then not picked in the second game. Um, there's, you know, th- th- we're not necessarily seeing that play out throughout the squad. Um, and I think, you know, like just at right back, this is another example of, of, of sort of, Okay, so that worked well with Grant. You had Carpenter, Grant, Carpenter gets injured, Grant steps up. So then who's the third choice right back? Who then steps in? Like, that's what depth building is. Who then comes into the squad as the third choice right back? And in, in my view, I would love to see Polly Doran get a, get a look. So someone else comes into the squad as the third choice right back, learns from Grant, gets 20 minutes here or there, and then if Grant gets injured, steps up. That's how depth building should work. But how depth building has worked is like random haphazard players like Jess Nash. Remember Jess Nash and Courtney Nevin playing center backs against us. And like, and we were like, great. Like they, they did fine. And then, you know, Jess Nash probably didn't have the season that, that she wanted still young, could, could, can, could have a good season this season. Um, but it, you know, that's not, that's not depth building. That's just, we've given some caps, thumbs up. Hooray. That's depth just throwing someone is, in the deep yeah. end, and then yeah, there was an error building. like Jessica Nash did for the opening goal inside a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. Aside seconds. Again. It was less than a minute. Yeah, yeah. well, think about depth the Spain game. Is Grant. That's it. You know, sorry. But all of these names you're throwing up, Taryn, they're all teenagers, twenty. Where's the 23, 24 year olds, 25 year olds playing for the New prime, Zealand? The prime age players. <laughs> Stole my point it's, from other people, but that's yeah. Like <sighs> we've had a couple it's, of defections. It's it's yeah. And the question is why? Of, why are yeah. they defecting? Like they come in handy right about now. Depth doesn't just have to mean teenagers and. But just it's, just it's more likely that. that we're going to repurpose someone like a Larissa Crummer or a, a Yallop to play in a, at a fullback position rather than play someone there who's a natural fullback, which is almost like we're winding the clock back, a clock back to some of the the worst aspects of the Alan Stadich regime, the positional insanity that we saw there, and the the tiny group of players that had to play all over the place. Nick, 
But yeah, I mean, you mentioned about the depth thing. I mean, we saw it, we've spoken about so much about that Spain game, you know, like how basically you threw however many players for one of the, some of their first caps and they were basically like lambs to slaughter, you know, like it, as you mentioned, Taryn, there's one thing capping players, one pl- there's one thing about how you utilize them when they do get that opportunity, not just throwing them in for the sake of it to either get that cap on the board or, you know, for some players, if they might have a dual nationality and make sure they can play for the Matils or whatever it might be in, in some aspects, you've actually got to utilize them correctly and not completely damage their morale. Like that Spain game, God knows, like, you know, for some of those players, we might see them again in the near future and what that's done for them long-term. So I don't know. It It is a bit concerning that we've had this much time. And as you mentioned, we don't even know who our third choice right back is. We don't even know how far the depth chart goes. Cause I mean, at any national team at any level, you should have a depth chart probably going one through to maybe 10. You should have literally like everyone should be ranked off. Like, all right, worst case scenario, someone else can come in, especially in a COVID era where we've seen squads decimated with players, you know, testing positive and you've had to get players coming in on a whim. We saw it with the Socceroos um, in that uh, March window when they had to bring in players the last minute. Like you have to have players, you know, one through to maybe 10, 20 in some positions. And the fact that, you know, we're relying on the same players or as Josh has mentioned, repositioned players playing in, you know, makeshift roles. That's that, that for me is a real concern that, that is really, really concerning. All right. I'm, I'm calling last drinks at the bar here on the Matildas. Uh, Joey, final point? Well, I just want to reiterate once more that none of us are death riding the Matildas here. Like, we all want them to succeed. I remember I had to delete about half of my copy that I was writing up of my analysis piece at... Um, that I'd started to write at halftime of that second game about of the Canada game about how there were building blocks there until one of those blocks turned into a brick. The reality brick hit me in the face once again. Like, yeah, there's been signs and they're great. And it's great to have them really want to see them build upon. But Tony Gustafsson's asking for faith. Faith inherently is, you know, something built upon a lack of belief. You know, like, you sorry, a lack of evidence. You don't need evidence to have faith. You don't need evidence to believe. And I think that sort of sums up, sums it up that I desperately want to believe. But right now, if I, I can't, I couldn't believe if I wanted to, all I could have is faith. Taryn, anything further before we talk about the, uh, the the dub and the broadcast arrangements for next season? Yeah, I think it's just it's just that the you know as as Joey said, we're not not death riding anyone. I mean, I I I think I've probably gotten more cynical, probably like lining up since when I started appearing on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, I was talk still... to your doctor about the negative effect of TNC. You could have on your outlook. You know, cheering and jumping around the lounge room with the the Mary Fowler goal. Like it, at the end, of, like we're still fans of the team, right? Like we still want them to do well, and I think it's just it's out of that desire for them to do well that it's so frustrating when there are things that are so obvious and are not being addressed. So you know, there's still you know we all we all watch sport because hope springs eternal, and we still hope that you know Sam Carroll score 15 goals and we'll win the World Cup somehow, but. We'll see. Tony, we're not angry. We're just disappointed. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the 
10 bold uh, arrangements for next season. Um, Joey, is this a good thing or a bad thing? The A-League being moved off the main channel, the free-to-air output of the A-League being theoretically doubled with two 10 bold games, but no A-League women's on 10 bold next season. However, it's all been moved out from behind the Paramount Plus paywall on the women's side. So everything is on 10 play now. Good, bad, indifferent. Can it be both? You know, (laughs) sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. (laughs) Like, all right. Or or like the Simpsons thing, you know, it's like, you're getting an extra A-League men's game on free-to-air. That's good. It's coming at the expense of the A-League women's game. That's bad. (laughs) But all A-League's women's games are out from behind the paywall. That's good. You're off the main (laughs) channel entirely. That's bad. Like, it's all about weighing things up um, with this thing. And I think for the... uh, I think also in these situations, you have to realize that I don't think we would be seeing these changes. I don't think these changes were APL instigated. I think these this is the APL maybe going into a bit of damage control, having to respond to a broadcaster not happy with the racings from last season and trying to placate them and trying to horse trade and basically try to make the best of a bad situation. Obviously, Channel 10, whatever we're calling them, Viacom, CBS, whatever, weren't happy with the ratings for A-League women on Sunday. I imagine they probably would have been pushing to drop it entirely. And so the APL has come in and tried to say, well, why don't you show a second men's game instead? And Channel Channel 10 maybe were also saying, your men's game's not rating. We could put a rerun of NCIS on and get bigger numbers. Put us on the secondary channel then. Keeps at the same time. So, And you can see how that benefits. And then all of a sudden, oh, crap. No more free-to-wear for the A-League women's. All right. Let's trade. Bring out all of the A-League women's out from behind the paywall. Which I... It's sort of been... It's burying the lead sort of underneath. You know, there's no game on free-to-wear now. But also every single A-League women's game is now going to be available for every single person in this country to watch. It's not going to be the case of last season you got one game, all the others were behind a paywall. So swings and rips sometimes, maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. I hesitate to get too angry about this because I don't think the APL would have done this. I, I don't think the APL would have done this off their own back. I think this, this was them just trying to salvage the situation. So I can call it not ideal, but at the same time I can say, well, with my reality hat on, I can see what's happened and I can see the benefits of what they've been able to salvage from last year's COVID-disrupted season, destroying the ratings. Taryn? Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I was thinking about it, I guess, in terms of barriers to entry, uh, just, I guess, just talking about the the women's side of things, you know, last, you know, obviously the, the most open way for everyone to see it in the most ideal world is, is every single game is on free to air main channels and everyone can watch it. 
um, you know, that's that's your thing that you're aiming for. And then obviously, you know, you have to sort of go down from there. You know, is one game on Freedomware and the rest on Paramount more or less accessible than every game on Tenplay? And that's that's kind of the thing that you have to weigh up. I would say that it's it makes it more difficult to discover, but it makes it easier to be a fan. And then, you know, I wonder what I wonder how many people were were, you know, going into the the um you know, watching on free to air to becoming a fan pipeline because paying a subscription fee is obviously a much higher barrier to entry than downloading the 10 play app. So yeah, I mean, I think it has potential to to be a really good thing uh, for the for the women's game. I, I can't so much speak for the men's. I mean, obviously, having more games out out of a paywall is always a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think for the women's game, there's it it converts. It has the potential to convert people who wouldn't have taken the leap, who aren't invested enough to pay a subscription fee to a service to watch the games, but are invested enough that they'll watch more than one game a week. It captures that audience more. Mm. Um, and hopefully that audience is, is quite a number of people in the lead up and after the world cup as well next season. Per- personally, I think attendance to a league women's game should be free as well, but I might be in the min- minority on that front. Um, I guess it's harder to work that out with when there's a lot of double headers and, and things, but uh, I, I, I see the the appeal of of having it on ten play. I don't particularly like using ten play. I, I think it's quite hard to use, and there's like a lot of autoplay ads and stuff. But all of the streaming services from all of the free to air networks um, that you know are are free to use uh, are genuinely generally like that. So it's it's hard to uh, to complain about that specifically. It is it is a little bit hidden on ten play. It's not you're not going to stumble across it in the same way that you might flicking channels. But also with the A League women's target market, who the hell watches TV anymore? <laughs> this is the question. Like I I don't really watch TV. I Chromecast everything, or I watch it on my laptop. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat: phones, tablets, laptops, Chromecast or smart TV. And I I, I suspect yeah, it's a younger demographic that. A-League Women's is, is trying to go after a new generation of potential fans. Um, so I don't think being on a terrestrial TV channel is necessarily the be-all and end-all. Uh, it's whether this, I guess, relegation to the streaming platform comes with a downgrade in broadcasting quality. If that's the case, then I'm worried. Well, I can jump in on that. I did ask this question of somebody from the APL um, and they told me that because the women's games, whilst they are going to be on 10 play, they will also be on Paramount because they are remaining on Paramount as well. Broadcasting standards will remain the same as they were last season. So taking that at face value, that means that there won't be a downgrade on what we saw last season. We hopefully shouldn't see a reprise of the tuba guy. Um, but I think one of the big things that's going to come down to with this 10 play thing, it's how the APL, how 10, how everybody communicates 
that's changed to the public. It's all well and good to take women's games out from behind the paywall and have them available on 10 play. But if nobody knows about that, if nobody knows to go looking for them, as Taryn said, they're not very discoverable on there. You've got to let people know and tell them. I think as part of this renegotiation, um, there's some in-kinds commitments that have been made by 10, further promotion, further appearances across their things. So hopefully that will help um, on that front. It's just about communicating with them how and how the APL, how 10 sells this. I mean, I feel free to talk about this now because it's been reported elsewhere, um, but there will be simultaneous kickoffs as well. Um, like I said, it's been previously reported, so effort. Um, and how they communicate that because the APL has talked about how fans of the women's game consume football differently from the men's. A lot of people that watch the A-League women's are more fans of the league than they are certain teams. They want to support women's football. They want to support women's sport. Are you going to be able to create a product, whether that is a goal rush type of thing, an NFL red zone type of setup, are you going to like have the mini matches available as soon as possible so that these people that do watch the the entire league as fans of the league and as fans of women's sport or maybe fans of certain players are able to continue to consume your product at the same levels they used to when the games weren't simultaneously kicking off and they would watch every single one like people like on this show myself Taryn, josh we'll watch all of them anyway because it's our job but people that don't get paid to watch these games how are you going to convince them to consume your product is going to be the biggest question um i have surrounding this on the women's side of things I mean, it's the same thing for the men's. How are you going to communicate that it's on 10 bold now? Like, that's going to be a big thing as well. You've got to make sure people know about this and that they can go looking for you so that when your plans of a COVID-free season, a set fixture that doesn't change and doesn't get upheaved, what you are anticipating to be improved football, nanny for Melbourne victory, yada, yada. When people pick up that buzz and hear about that, they need to know where to go and look because... If they can't find it immediately, you're going to see a high attrition rate, I imagine. I mean, I'm a millennial. If I can't find something pretty quickly and I'm only partially interested in it. Yeah, I mean, this, I, I think also like it's important to remember that in the history of this, this league, um, many games weren't broadcast whatsoever. Um, you know, you didn't even have video highlights of a lot of the games prior to, say, 2015. So, um, you know, the, being able to watch all of them on one in one place is is progress uh, on a historical trajectory. But also, this wouldn't be happening if the ratings were going gangbusters for Channel 10. This wouldn't be happening. So, I appreciate the positive spin that's been put on it, and there are positive aspects of making it all more accessible. But if if Channel Ten wasn't having buyer's remorse about these rights, this wouldn't be happening. Let's be let's be honest. Am I wrong? Well, no. I I do want to say run their memes has the comment this deal will end in tears should have been a provider that already has sport optus. 
from what I've heard, Optus didn't really put forth a bid that approached anything close to what mm. Channel 10 or even 9 did. From what I've heard, it really, there really wasn't a lot of interest in the A-Leagues from Optus, from what I've been told. So it's not a matter of we should have gone to Optus. There wasn't much interest going the other way. Yeah, it's, it's an issue. Um, Taryn, in terms of this, this coming season, uh, how excited are you for it? Are there any sort of signings that have captured your eye or your imagination? Any teams that you think are building well? Anything we should be looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, given that a lot of the signings haven't been, um, uh, you know, are still being finalised. I think uh, what's caught my eye, I mean, this is this is so Victorian of me. Canberra United have signed so many players from the Victorian NPL. I love it. I will be um, watching them really, really closely this season, purely for that reason. Um, but, of course, um this might be a, a slight segue um, if, if you if you want into the MPL finals. Uh, Calder will make up the who won the NPLW final in Victoria yesterday. Will make up the bulk of the new Western United squad, and that is something that I'm incredibly excited for. Obviously, when the Knicks came in last season, a lot of their players were made up from a lot of their players have played together before in the New Zealand uh, youth setups and so on. So they had that familiarity, but I think this is, this is, you know, a team that's coming into the competition with a rumored big signing as well to be announced tomorrow. Um, it's coming into the competition and, you know, could cause quite a few upsets. I'm actually, I'm really, really excited to see Western United uh, next, next season. So yeah, I think that's Canberra and, and Western United, Victorian NPL represent. Well, given that you've made the segue there, Taryn, we may as well talk about the uh, MPLW Victoria Grand Final that uh, Joey Lynch commentated yesterday alongside Steph Galea. Uh, great fun to be involved in, uh, in that broadcast, and it's another win for the Calder dynasty. Uh, many of whom will uh, get that uh, that promotion uh, to A League Women's Football next season. Joey, what did you you make of the final between Calder and Bulleen? Wasn't Bulleen's best game. Bulleen themselves had some A League Women's signed players in the form of the likes of Leah Privatelli, um, Paige Zoys, Solani, Ancheski on the books at Perth Glory as well. Tiff Eliadis for Melbourne Victory and Bulleen. They didn't really click. On the day, um, called the United. Yancheski looked good. I thought Yancheski when she got opportunity. When she got the ball. Period, when she got the ball, they just didn't get the ball to her enough. But she looked. Yeah, really I good. mean, at which point, like Caitlin Friends, as you observed during the game, devolved in the second half to just kick the ball to Alana. Um, get it to her feet. Get it to yeah, her feet. So Calder and Calder were able to prevent that, so which is good for them. Like for the benefits of the majority of our listeners, you know, who want to know about the A League Women's. Uh, permutations of that called up Alana Chern breakout player for them this season another goal from outside the box six from six now from outside the box um Melissa Taranto uh with another goal signed to Western United um they they do have a big signing tomorrow but I've been asked by the club not to talk about it so I'm not I'll just wait for them um to announce that um but yeah, I think I'm going to be really intrigued to see how, one, these Calder United players 
make the jump to A-League women level. Obviously, some of them have done it before. Yesterday's best on grounds, Julia Sardo, stints with Melbourne City and Perth Glory. How they make the jump and how Coach Mike Tolcazo's system makes the jump to A-League women. Because one of Calder's biggest strengths in the NPLW and one of Mark Tolcazo's biggest strengths was that he recruits very well. More and more often than not, Calder have the most talented, if not one of the most talented teams in the league. How will Mark Tolcazo's approach when maybe that's not the case? So that's going to be very intriguing to see uh, moving forward how they go in an A-League's women's space. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch to watch that, albeit I, it was great fun calling that game and then immediately running into the, uh, the, into the room so we could catch the end of the Sydney United-Brisbane Raw game as well. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. I, I do want to talk a bit more about this game and and you know, Calder United and Western United's prospects next season. I mean, they've they've signed up Helen Winterburn as the assistant coach, uh, who's the head coach of FE Emerging, which is the the state, I guess, youth team. I guess you'd call it NTC. Uh, so they've potentially got a pipeline there to to some of Victoria's uh, best young talent with with her on the coaching staff. Uh, Taryn, uh, what did you make of the the performance from Calder? Um, I particularly was impressed by churn I, I thought she she just reads the flight of the ball really well like she just gets the ball ahead of uh her opponents and it's not just an athleticism thing it's like a timing thing where she just nicks it away from people and then starts attacks and it makes her so perfect as a six because she's such a springboard and into moments of of transition absolutely she's she's fantastic i think calder they were the they were the best team all season by by quite a way in the end uh, Joey, as you referenced multiple times, you know, conceding seven goals all season was, uh, you know, that's, that's quite something. That's not a lot of goals. Um, yeah, look, they, they did deserve their win. I think Boleyn, uh, you know, like Calder and Boleyn, that it's such an interesting final because I feel like Boleyn have flattered to deceive all season. They're the kind of team where you look on paper, and I certainly did at the beginning of the season, looked on paper at Boleyn and sort of went, oh, you know, this is a this is a great team. This is a mega team. But a few injuries, things didn't go their way. They seemed to, they lacked cohesion at times, just sort of managed to get to the grand final by sort of brute force almost uh, beating beating Heidelberg in the in the semifinal and, um, you know, eventually came unstuck to, to Calder, who, of course, have that incredibly talented team as they as they usually do but I think it's the the sort of was the structure and the system of Calder that mm. suffocates everyone else as, as much as anything else and that that came through in the final as well I, I was surprised by how how little instruction was coming from the bullying bench I have to say I was doing running the sideline for that game and a, a lot of the the shouts were maybe maybe this is a reflection of like we have these uh ideas in our mind of coaches like having all this minute tactical detail but it's very hard to impart on game day so you just yell stuff from the bench like you know gotta win this or you know come on come on bullying but that was that was a bit that was kind of it you know there was there was that one instruction to get the ball to Janchevsky from Caitlin Friend and it, it didn't seem like they had any more they had any more answers in mind for for this this match day in particular, it, it didn't it didn't feel it, it, there was a resignation there. I, I felt especially when they were down to by, down by two goals. 
I mean, it is from my experience of coaching the uh, Yarra Jets under 13 Cs, I can confirm it is it is difficult mid-game to uh, to impart the instructions clearly that you want because, you know, you're into it, you're passionate, it's a final. It's tense for the coaches as well, uh, I'm sure. Not that we made any finals. We finished about seventh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that that's it's interesting. It's an interesting observation because without knowing the instructions that they were being given all season, that's the way they played all season they just a very talented team just kind of ran around and and got where they got in the league through as i say kind of brute force um but yeah did did come unstuck in the end yeah they, they really missed they really missed tj vlanich hmm. her presence on the left the overlapping runs that she would do the combinations with alana Janchevsky. i'm not sure of the status of um tj vlanich's deal in serbia whether or not it's going to allow her to return to melbourne city for the A-League women's season, but going to, she did play a role for Rado Vidasic as well during the last A-League women's season. In fact, her red card against Sydney in the um for, in the first week of the finals perhaps laid the table for Melbourne victory to upset them in the preliminary finals. So that's a, an absence that I think was felt by Boleyn and potentially could be felt by Melbourne City this coming A-League women's season as well. The industriousness and the uh, just the desire to get forward that TJ Vlanich bring. Um, just a, a small thing about this game. How good is Alex Sinclair? Just quietly. I mean, you know, she was fantastic. Um, I'm really excited to see again an opportunity at A-League women's level this season for Western United even if it is only for one or two or however many seasons it might be, it's long overdue and it's great to see she's going to get this opportunity um, as part of the foundation club. But also, you know, to have that that leadership as someone like Alex Sinclair and just, you know, she's constantly barking instructions. She never gives up. She's a great mo role model to have around the team. And she's almost a perfect player to help potentially bridge that gap between youth and also experience in that Western United team. Because we've seen with expansion teams before, especially in the A-League women's, that, you know, if you've got a lot of young players and you don't necessarily have that bridge to kind of get a few experienced guys in and you can kind of have a few of those cool heads, it you you might struggle a little bit. So I think it's good to see that they've got her in. And um, the one thing I want to say, Joey, because you you mentioned her name um, for yesterday when you said her, Alana Cern's name was Alana Chern, I said Alana Cern on the ground announcing but had all the injured Calder United players laughing at me because apparently she, she literally told Alana me Churn on Monday Cern. night. I, I literally got it from the person Josh, itself. Josh can vouch for me here because Josh was to my right. Josh, like, you know, we, 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 got, we got some words from what's the that squiggle there above there the giggles, sea. Yeah. What's the squiggle above the hey, sea on her jersey yeah, for it's, then? it's technically Churn, but I, she obviously goes, well, the players thought it was Cern, and then I copped a few laughs for it. It was like, what? Like, <laughs> Are you sure I've they hearing... weren't looking at your hinge profile? <laughs> That's why that's why Nick disappeared from the stream for a few minutes there, by the way. He had, uh, they, quick, quick I had to get a few in. new snaps with the uh, the clean shaven thing. Oh. Listen, before we move on to the Australia Cup, um, I do also just want to acknowledge Emily Shields. That yesterday was her last game, the FC Bullion Lions goalkeeper. She is now retiring. She had uh, Bub Lenny with her after the game, who refused to answer any of my questions. But um, Emily Shields, fantastic career in the Victorian State Leagues, twice a uh, goalkeeper of the year in the NPLW, best on ground in the 2018 grand final that Bulleen won 3-1. Uh, 
if she had an Australian passport instead of an American one, almost certain she would have at least landed a backup role in the A-League women's in the past. So congratulations to Emily Shields on a fantastic career and good luck with whatever happens next. And, I mean, what a performance to go out on. I know it would have been disappointing the result, but she made some unbelievable saves in the second half. And um, it rated a mention from Melissa Taranto when I spoke to her after the game. Uh, some of the, the one save she clawed out of the bottom corner was just unbelievable. So if, if bullying win that game, um, Shields, Shields is player of the match. Um, Taryn, we better let you go, but thank you very much for jumping on, for responding when we, uh, when we put up the Taryn signal in the night sky. Uh, we can always count on you, so we really appreciate it. Not a problem at all. You know, I did say I only got 40 minutes uh, notice, but it was actually 23 hours and 20 minutes late. So, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Always love to be on. Thanks, Taryn. Hey, guys. We know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. All right, we um we better move on to Oz Cup, shall we? Want to do the, the the men's grand final as well before we go uh, to the Australia? Let's oh, get let's to the Australia Cup, Cup first let's, before I think we people... go full Victorian. Enough. Okay, no, I was just not sure because we had national Premier Leagues chat here, and I wasn't sure if we wanted to just keep it on the we, same. We were frame. just cutting it up: women's football, men's football. I think that's right, the easiest distinction with Darren. That's better. Sydney United are the first ever MPL side to qualify for the Australia Cup or FFA Cup Grand Final. They beat Brisbane Raw 3-2 in a very entertaining, very dramatic game with one of the best match winners you are likely to see as Latan Ibrahimovic-inspired assist uh, for Glenn Trefiro to smash the ball into the back of the net on the volley. Unbelievable scenes. Fantastic crowd that turned out in Adenza Park. And, uh, and what a result for MPL New South Wales. Yeah, I mean... Well, wow, what a game, guys. Like, quite literally, wow, what a game. Um, congratulations to Sydney United. Uh, amazing scenes, uh, a great turnout at the Denzer Park yesterday. Um, you know, and, and Josh, you spoke about the goal. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna script a better way to make the to be the first ever MPL team in the Australia Cup final to cap off this cap this cup run all the way to the final, what a way to do it. Um, I think it was a, was a Chris Payne with the flick for Glenn Trefiro as well. Um, so it it seemed kind of fitting that you know you got these two veteran. Has my internet dropped out or is it Nick's? I think someone's no, turned no, no. Microwave. Nick's Nick's microwave has been turned on. <laughs> no. Oh no! He was in such a middle of such a passionate point as well. I oh, know. Nick, Nick yeah. defrozen. Yeah. Do, do you think he's still going, or <laughs> I mean, do you think he's noticed? <laughs> Does he know? That's the big question. Uh, Joey, I'll go to you then while we wait for uh, for Nick defrozen to come back to life. It's these two guys. <laughs> oh, no, we're hearing it now. <laughs> Nick, you froze completely. We heard. We heard. Oh, yeah, and he got froze. Ah, uh, now we can't hear your microphone. This is a disaster. <laughs> my Google Chrome, like, wasn't even the internet. My Google Chrome just stopped working. 
Like it just froze. Everything just stopped working. So that's why I was smashing buttons around. That's why I was on mute. Cause I'm like, what the hell is going on? I, I just threw my headphones down. That's why they were there. <laughs> um, no, what, what, what I was saying is, I mean, how good was it to see Trafiro and Payne link up and score that goal to Wiley veterans link up and, I mean, what a goal it was. And to Sydney United's credit, they've they've run the gauntlet. They beat Western United. They've now beaten Brisbane Raw, and they deserve to be in the final. And it was great seeing at the end of the game, uh, the the pitch invasion and everything else. Um, it was great. And I think the fact that we're one down and one to go with a potential all-MPL Australia Cup final is awesome. I am, I am really excited for that. Uh, as for Brisbane Raw, I'm a bit concerned. Um, you know, they kind of rode their luck in some of the other games. Uh, we can stop getting these comments up on stream about my stream freezing. Um, but the fact that, you know, quite an uninspiring performance and to lose like that, it's quite disappointing. You know, the, you think back, they were quite lucky to get past Avondale in the end, um, back in the, the, the round of 16, um, they got past Adelaide, but then very uninspiring against Sydney United. You think at this stage of the preseason with, um, we're how many weeks out now from the A-League season? Three, four weeks out now. You want to be starting to hit your strides and getting into, you know, your best football. This is their fourth game of competitive football they've played on top of already preseason friendlies. And it wasn't their best performance by any stretch. And it's not like they were reeling out a second team. This is probably as close to a first team. If not, this is probably maybe barring a couple of full strength starting 11. You know, they had Charlie Austin starting, Jay O'Shea, Riku Danzaki. Uh, you know, they the, had the whole lot, Ramadak Bari as well. And to lose like that with, from what, you know, looked like a quite, from what we understand, from what I saw, at least from the little bit and extra time, we're all watching it in the, in the Heidelberg club rooms between grand finals. They didn't, they never looked likely to actually go on and win the game, but based off all reports, not necessarily the most inspiring mm. performance in the first 90 either. And um, to be pegged back twice after taking the lead, um, I think that's a big concern for them going into the season. So great for Sydney United, but a lot that Warren Moon's going to have to sort out before the opening game against MacArthur. Is it just me or have all the A-League teams been pretty crap in this year's edition? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've loved all the cop sets, don't get me wrong. But uh, as you say, Avondale played Brisbane Raw off the park. Um, but I've, we've, I've seen a lot of uninspiring performances from from A-League sides in, in this year's tournament, not least you know Sydney FC against Oakley. Um, you know, Velvet victory against Western United, Western United against Sydney United. It's it's been, Melbourne uh, City against Wellington as well. You know, like mm. it's been, it seemed like a bit of a constant threat. And this is the question that um, Lockie Flanagan sort of posed when we're watching the game. He goes, you know, what does this say? Are the A-League teams getting worse or are the MPL teams getting better? And I can't help but lean more towards the former. Um, I think that the gap, I, I think that MP, some of the MPL teams for sure, they're getting better as well. But I think that the, the the gap is closing and it's closing quickly between the best in the MPL and the worst in the A-League or even, even the worst in the A-League, some of the best sides in the A-League as well. So I think that's a little bit concerning for, for those A-League sides. And I think it goes to show at the the lack of, of, of imaginative play. A lot of these teams play the same way. You know, they're very easy to read, very easy to counter. So... I mean, as we've said so many times, you give these teams the ball, you hit them on the counter-attack and inshallah and you're on. And I mean, all from what we've seen, I mean, the amount of coach uh, crosses that they were putting in, U-shape possession, hoof it into Charlie Austin, hope for the best. That's not going to work. And smart teams will be able to pick that off. So, you know, I think if 
on the other coin, we'll talk about it later. If, if you're Oakley coming up against MacArthur, you give yourself every crack because, you know, you've got nothing to play. Like, you, you've got a free hit. You're just going for it. Like, whatever happens from here is a bonus. But you're going up, up against a MacArthur team that's actually waving the flag right now for the APL and the A-League, saying, like, we're the last bastion. If all 12 A-League teams get knocked out before the final, it is it does not look good for them and their stakes going into the season, but it looks great great for the MPL and, and really all the, the state league teams. And it, it speaks to the magic of the cup that really anyone can do it. You know, it says that the, the average Joes in the, in the MPL and the players who are part-time footballers can go on this cup run, can play in Asia potentially next season, which is quite incredible. Um, you know, so it, it just speaks to them. We don't have anything like that in this country. So great for Sydney United, but yeah, as I said, not the best for Brisbane Raw and a lot. So I think uh, to keep an eye on as we go in close to the season. I think, I think we should also keep in mind that Brisbane Raw has never made a semi-final before. They've never performed well in this tournament. Sure. Um, they've never, they, they've, they only made it to the quarterfinal one, twice in their history, including this year. So, but, um, does, they've, but, they've, but does that discount poor performances though? Because no, I mean, it, it doesn't. Happen, it doesn't. Great this, this run. No, they they have flattered to deceive. Um, you know, potentially you could say against Adelaide, it was a, it was a slightly better showing, but um, uh, as uh, as Geraldo said in the comments, I believe Brisbane are still at a Denzer Park sending crosses in. You know, and they could have crossed the ball all day, and they wouldn't have scored again against that uh, that Sydney United defence once they took the lead in extra time. Um, but Joey, I guess big picture, what does this mean for the tournament? Does this is this kind of the validation of the tournament as a whole that we finally have an MPL side organically? making it to the final, even without the, the bias draw we had in previous years? Undoubtedly, it is a validation of just what this NPL was supposed to, not NPL, what this cup was supposed to bring to the Australian football ecosystem. Now, yes, you can you know uncharitably claim that the Australia Cup was introduced as a way to sort of shut up those outside of the A-Leagues about, you know, any other reforms. Here's your cup competition. Now, sod off, even though it appears to have done the exact opposite. But at its core, the Australia Cup was about uniting the game, allowing clubs to compete on a relatively level playing field. Of course, there's some change, there's some differences regarding um, even beyond just the standard resources, the resource differences that you get from A-Leagues to NPLs to state leagues to communities, yada, yada, in terms of like international player limits and all of that sort of stuff. But at its core, the Australia Cup is about uniting the game and allowing everybody to compete together and for your football to do the talking and for your football to bring you along as far as it can take you. And now we have the ultimate endorsement of that in that a team outside of the A-Leagues that haven't benefited from a closed system since 2005 are actually able to, let's face it, there's inevitably a layer of fortune in this. There's a layer of fortune in any club make it through to the cup final. Melbourne victory in the early stages of last year's cup before Tony Popovich actually decided to start paying attention, got incredibly lucky when they were just playing the kids. But it's just an example. In this case, it's Sydney United. Could be Oakley. 
it could be any team next year. It's an example of just clubs being allowed to be football clubs and to compete. And no other sport in Australia does this. You know, the 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 club that I played footy for as a junior kid, the Banyal Bears, they can't go out and one day, you know, go on a run that ends up with them playing at Carlton at, I don't know, Icon Park or something like that in well, a they, game that actually counts. They might not play Carlton because they might get knocked out already. If there Very was such a Collingwood thing. fan, Nick the Barno. But yeah, they can't do that. Um, the, rug, the rugby union side my brother played for, Eltham, they can't go on a run that sees them playing the Melbourne Rebels at Amy Park for, you know, actual stakes. Um, a rugby league, I don't know. I don't think there are any rug, local rugby league sides near me living in Melbourne. But is it so, Box Hill? The Box Hill have a team? I think no, that's might. Union. Oh, it's Union. Union. Okay. Um, some random league team that maybe one of our Sydney viewers has once played for as a kid, they can't go on a run and play against the Sydney Roosters at the new Sydney football stadium in a game that actually matters. But my junior, my junior football club, Doncaster Rovers, they can. They can go on a run. They can on the back of nothing but their footballing abilities, can go on a run that sees them play against one day maybe Melbourne Victory and Lewis Nanny. I think that's incredible. You can't discount just how remarkable that is, just how much that separates football from any other sport around the country. It's what makes football all over the world. It's what makes the FA Cup the oldest cup in the world, so magical. We recently saw in the United States the Sacramento, a USL side, playing against Orlando City in a cup final. This is what cup football is supposed to be. It's about supposed to be about footballing merits being the premier thing and allowing anybody that can put on a pair of boots, put on a pair of shin guards, put on a shirt and run out and just show what they can do. And I, I think it's a real shame that we were talking about this with Vince Regari a couple of weeks ago about how it hasn't really had the cut through even this season that it really deserves. Hopefully this helps it. Antonis is coming through in the comments talking about if the AFL had this, they'd market the life out of it. They would. Fortunately, Football Australia doesn't have the largesse to do that. But this and is the why APL the cut... has no interest necessarily in doing it because... It's not well, because they'd be remit. marketing about their teams getting pumped by amateurs. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not pumped, but beaten by amateurs. But yeah, yeah that, it's what the cup at its core, surviving on your footballing merits. That's what it's mm. supposed to be. And now we see the ultimate example on that. You don't need a license to be in the cup final. You just need to win football matches. Mike Cockrell medalist, Nizic. Has to be. Hmm. 100%. These awards are inherently narrative just as much as they are performance-based. And he's had two amazing performances, at least two, but two amazing, very high-profile performances against Western United 
and now um, in the semi-final against Brisbane Raw, and saving that penalty from from O'Shea, I think seals it for him, and potentially leads to another professional opportunity for Nick. I was I was just about to mention, Josh. Surely there'd be teams looking at him like that. They'd have to like whether it's potentially as a backup goalkeeper. I think can do a lot worse than going to get Daniel Nizic. And I mean, he's been in the professional system before as well. He was at the Wanderers, and I think that you know there's a he's potential for him to. Yeah, well, play, I, I but... think. Would you say he's probably the best goalkeeper at MPL level? I mean, you know, just off the top of our heads, that might be leading C- the charge. Certainly after Harvey Lopez had a stinker last night. Well, um, uh, but also remember, Harvey Lopez is always going to be up against it for an A-League contract. Yeah, because local, of his phone locals, status. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he's certainly up there. And it's great to see. It's great to see if any of these Sydney United players can springboard from this and find themselves back in a professional environment. This is what the Cup's about as well. It gives these guys an opportunity to you know, get their careers to that next level. So, or, you know, get careers back, mm. you know, it's that next level. I think it's great. And I think a lot of these guys still are looking for that opportunity and still believe it. Like in this, in the Sydney United team, there's a, there's a few names in there that we've already mentioned. Um, I think Picardus has been really good. I've been impressed by him uh, through what I've seen. And obviously he's been mm. in the system before, but, um, but Nizic uh, as a goalkeeper is, I mean, he's just such an intimidating presence. He's what, six and a half feet tall, just, has such great reach and he's he's had such confidence in these these big fixtures. Um, he's played with such um, surety, and I I think that that will have um, caught the eye. It, it has to have. It has to have. Otherwise, these teams aren't watching. Mm. Mm. Um, shall we talk about the upcoming semi final? Or actually, Let's before do we it. do, before we do, um, atmosphere at Denza was obviously sensational. It was, it was fantastic packed out um, and it's great to see it packed out where, when it isn't on on um, on MPL match days or it, it, they've been pretty poor this season and they haven't had good ascendances, but in the cup run, um, it's obviously captured the imagination and we hope that a national second division would capture the imagination in a similar fashion. Uh, but there has been some controversy about um, some of the banners that were displayed, some of the things going around on social media about the, the Sydney United supporters. Joey, did you want to speak to that? I mean, to the extent that I can, the nature, the nature of libel laws in Australia yeah. and deniability associated with these things is going to inevitably temper what I'm going to say on the air. Um, what I will say is that the attention that comes with a run to the cup final brings with it sunlight. Um, sunlight ultimately is one of the best disinfectants. Yeah. I mean, I think we've come a long way since the days of NCIP and so forth. And I just hope that, you know, no one ruins it. That's I'm, that's as much as I'll say. I just hope no one wrecks it because, you know, the, the story of the cup this year has been so, so positive. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I just ask any, you know, fans who are going to be intense at the final, which will be, you know, a big event and we'll have a lot of eyeballs on it. Um, don't wreck it. Don't, don't wreck what we've, what we've managed to build and, and create here for um, some of the clubs that have been uh, cast aside in Australian football over the years. Um, let's let's talk about the other semi-final coming up on Wednesday night. Jack Edwards Reserve, the now newly crowned Victorian champions, the Oakley Cannons, will host MacArthur, as has been pointed out in the comments. Um, they've been confident winning all their games comfortably, haven't really been tested so far um, in this year's tournament. 
Oakley coming off a 72-hour turnaround from their championship (laughs) celebrations. It's going to be a a big test for them. Uh, But they're on this charmed run this year, Nick. Uh, to be honest, the last thing to do with Oakley right now is to is to doubt them coming off any sort of turnaround because they keep finding a way to just defy all logic and find a way to keep on winning. Um, I'm sure we speak about the grand final a little bit later. We'll talk about how just how insane yesterday was and how they just absolutely pummeled South Melbourne and you know the the the, the gravity of that result and the magnitude of of, of that win. Um, I honestly, I'm going out on a limb here, guys. I think they're going to win. I, I think that this this wave that they're riding right now is unbelievable. They're getting players back. They've got their back four sorted. Their attack is firing on all cylinders. They're playing on their home deck at Jack Edwards Reserve, which suits exactly the way they want to play on a fast deck. They want to move the ball quickly. They've got Joe Knowles fit as well and back into the starting lineup. This team is bloody dangerous and they will hurt MacArthur. Now, I know MacArthur have a lot of glitzy players going back the other way. And I'm very, very excited to see Daniel Arzani down here. I'm, I'm excited to see how he links up with the likes of Ulysses Davila and Danny De Silva and what and what sort of you know team Dwight York puts out there and if they look to play on the front foot. But if MacArthur's going to play on the front foot, they're going to expect that if Oakley come back the other way, they're going to punch him in the mouth because that's the way Oakley play. They play quick. They will just cut you through the lines and get the likes of Chris Lucas, Joe Knowles, Wade Decker, whoever it is out wide, getting in those areas and coming at you. Daniel Clark will will run all day. And Joe Guest has just been unbelievable all season. Um, and to be honest, it's going to be a rocking atmosphere. I think we're going to see a great crowd out there at Jack Edwards Reserve, hopefully better weather than we had last night. So it doesn't deter people who might be a little bit turned off by, by rain or whatever else. But whatever happens from here for Oakley... I mean, what more can you say? You know, they they are so close to potentially what could have been a treble this year if they had won the Doherty Cup. They they dropped that game. They were up 1-0 and dropped it in the last few minutes. But this run as of late, like, when you look at it, you know, it, it's unbelievable where they were, where they, they fell out of the top two. They had to go the hard way through the finals, beat Heidelberg, beat Port Melbourne, had the Australia Cup to deal with, all these injuries, you know, and they're still fighting. And the fact that they won... The, the grand final in the manner they did yesterday, they're, they're, wide, they're riding that perfect wave. And the belief in this squad right now is rife. This team believes they can do it. There is a lot of quality in this team, who I honestly think, we talk about A-League clubs looking at players. We know Joe Knowles is off. I think A-League clubs should be looking at more players in that team. I think there is enough quality in that team to potentially make the, make the jump. And I'm really excited to see how they go against MacArthur. And guys, as I said, I think they're going to win. I genuinely think that Oakley are going to be playing Sydney United in that Australia Cup final. If they do lose, and I have egg on my face for this prediction, I'll take the egg. You can pelt eggs at my face. I don't care. Not, not literally. Don't actually pelt eggs in my face. But the, the figurative eggs. What I'm saying is, I, I what, this if they can get to the Australia Cup final, it just would be an unbelievable achievement on all levels in the league. What they did in their cup run, you know, the fact that now they're going to potentially be in an Australia Cup final if they win. It would be sensational. The fact they beat two A-League men's sides on the way there too, it would be great. Nick De-Egging has had his say. Uh, Joey, are you willing to go out on a limb in the same fashion? Are Oakley going to do the impossible once again? Uh, probably not. Um, <laughs> wow. Hey, they, they, apparently the wow. celebrations were, were uh, sensible. 
There was a, they were restrained. An, I think there were one no, a.m. curfew. Yep, no yeah. alcohol after one a.m. and just back curfew. at the, back at Jacker Woods, not 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 hitting the town. So, I, I, I'm. I'll tell you what I'm. What I'm looking forward to seeing is, well, there's obviously Oakley's high-powered attack running at the Bulls, um, in Philip Curto. I, is it blasphemy to say that on shot stopping ability, Philip Curto might be a better goalkeeper than Andrew Redmayne? On pure shot stopping ability, so that's going to be interesting to see how if they can break down him. And then you've obviously got the Bulls' defense in front of him, that high powered attack. But what I'm really looking forward to seeing is Oakley wing back, 19 year old Anthony Pantazopoulos going up against Al Hassan Touray and Daniel Arzani. Um, Toure and Arzani will switch wings, so they'll likely both get a crack um, against Pantazopoulos at some point during the game. Pantazopoulos, who apparently has some interest from the Newcastle Jets, which should be interesting because he certainly got the talent um, to do so. I was on the sideline with Ryan Scott, um, the former Bentley Greens goalkeeper now with Western United, and he was incredibly impressed with Pantazopoulos's, um form last night. So I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing how they go. And it's going to be interesting as well, because for those unfamiliar with Jack Edward Reserve, um, where we were, uh, where we were, um, where they had beat Sydney FC, uh, it's a very small ground, mm-hmm. tight confines. It's going to be, interesting to see how the Bulls adjust to that. Now in Daniel Arzani, they've got a player that absolutely can operate in tight areas, but it's another challenge I think maybe for Dwight York as well in the formative stages of his career, how we go. I think on like McCarthy should be winning this game, but Brisbane Raw should have beaten Sydney United as well. So I'm going to really be intrigued to see how that goes. Now, do I think Oakley are going to beat MacArthur? No, I don't. I think they can. Though. And that's the important thing, as I said. If they win, their football's going to do the talking. Nice fence sit from Joey there. Um, I just said MacArthur's going to win. <laughs> but if Oakley win, good job to them. Good job, boys. Now the uh, Jack Edwards is 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 a leveler. I think on bigger pitches, the the superior fitness levels and I guess ability to spread the ball around the A League sides can be a difference maker. But uh, Jack of Woods, it's in tight, it's in close. You're able to make those repeated sprint efforts and get backwards and forwards down the pitch a little bit easier. And also, it's a good surface, it's a slick surface, and that suits Oakley's Oakley's game, which is based on verticality and just you know zipping quick passes. Um, and I, I I think they've got a, a really decent chance. I, I love the shout for uh, for Pantazopoulos to uh, to get an A League contract. I think he's had a real breakout year, culminating in the the call up to the under twenty um, talent ID camp. Um, so yeah, I I I was impressed with him in uh, in the grand final. He actually played a really important pass for the third goal, where he just threaded the needle through the lines for Oliver Kubelay, who'd taken up an advanced position. Um, and credit to Kublai for his moving off the ball as well. Uh, but it just split the South defence wide open uh, in the lead up to Chris Lucas's uh, sealer uh, in the grand final, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. But um, I I think they can do it. I really do. Um, I don't think MacArthur's performances in the Cup this year 
tell you too much about how good or otherwise they are. I think Wellington Phoenix were their own worst enemies uh, in that game. They just basically gave them two goals. Um, and earlier in the tournament, they hadn't faced sides of... Like, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you, obviously, but they hadn't faced great sides. Magpies, Crusaders and Montbury Jets weren't at the level. You know, they did really well to get as far as they did in the tournament. So I don't think we've seen MacArthur tested yet. So I, I think it's I struggle to make a judgment on how good this team is and how co- cohesive this lineup is, which on paper has thrown a lot of attacking weapons at the pitch at once. And whether they go with that sort of lineup against Oakley is going to be um, it's going to be very 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 interesting to see. Just quietly about Oliver Kubelay. I hope A League clubs are watching. He's had a sensational last couple of months, particularly. He's had a great season, but I, I think that A League clubs should really be keeping an eye on him. He's only twenty three. He's someone who I think could genuinely make the jump and be a very, very handy player at A-League men's level. Um, him alongside Tyson Holmes has been great all season, but Kubelay in particular recently, he has just gone to another level. Um, and I think that he could be, as we, as I said, at that level, I think could be very handy. You mentioned Pantasopoulos. Um, they're two players who I honestly think, I, I genuinely think we'll see him in A-League circles sooner rather than later. I think they're too good not to at least have a look at or get the chance to play at that level at some point. And they've kept uh, Wade Decker nice and rested for this one. He only got a few, what, 10, 10, 15 minutes off the bench, was it? Maybe less than yep. that. And um, he against scored. South Melbourne. And he scored He scored with the, the last kick of the game, which was a header. Um, yep. And he scored against Sydney um, in the previous round. So um, having having him nice and fresh could be a... Could be a you know who else maker. is nice and fresh for this game, Josh? He got a few minutes <laughs> at the Nygoran. end. The cup specialist, Nick Nygoran. <laughs> Now I expect I expect it. I, I'm excited because again, like Oakley, we talk about they've still got players out. Like they're not going to have Mario Barcia against his cup type. You know, Ryan lost, he's injured. Their depth on the bench is still not great. Like they've still had so many injuries that really, it's you know, if you look at the lineup from yesterday, it's Nyagoran and Wade Decker. They're the only two sort of senior players because Nick Anarkis and Stephen Sakalarios are 20s players who have sort of filled the bench and. Haven't had much of an opportunity this season. So if it is Nick Nyagoran uh, to get that opportunity, I mean, he's still a handful. He's that, he's just, he's such a big guy. Like you, if you go route one, I mean, you got to chase the game. I don't see why not. He's, he's a handful. He's a different kind of play to anything else Oakley have. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited. Nonetheless, it's going to be great on Wednesday night. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I'm excited to see what kind of crowd is going to turn out. Um, it was a really sensational atmosphere for the Sydney game. So um, I imagine that will grow even further from that point. Um, in terms of uh, like concerns I would have for Oakley is that Joe Knowles was kicked from pillar to post uh, on Sunday night. Um, both both star players and both teams were. I mean, Max Mickler was forced to be withdrawn at half time. Um, and uh, Joe Knowles eventually went off limping after... Um, several big big tackles on him. Um, so whether he can turn it around for for Wednesday night and put in the kind of performance we've come to expect from the the joint winner of the FV gold medal, um, have to wait and see. But I'm I'm kind of sad we're not going to get the uh, the Joe Knowles versus Brisbane Raw um, custody battle <laughs> in the final of the Australia Cup. Uh, shall we Shall we bite the bullet and go full full Victorian nuts because we're stepping on it? Hey, anyway. you 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 know you know that you should, Josh. You know, just just do it, do it, pull the trigger, mate. The MPL Victoria Men's Grand Final ended hold on, in. Hold on, we've skipped this. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Joey. Right. Uh, it's been, it's just, it's just, well. 
it's just been the segue. question that's been dominating the discourse in the aftermath. Well, of it's, it's, United it's, win. It's, it's, it's called a segue, you know, Oakley into that. You know, we got grand final into that because <laughs> South Melbourne also want to go in a second this year, mate. We do have a non Victorian audience. Yeah, I'm just Allegedly. saying, but you know, yeah, but just saying, it was a big bloody game <laughs> yesterday. Oh, well, I mean, you're, I, I you're see the data did... actually. We actually have more listeners in New South Wales than we do Victoria. Wow, that's got to change. Um, Joey, <laughs> just, uh, just, just, it's like one just. percentage point. When you speak about dominating the discourse, it was your article that uh, went bananas, uh, speaking mm-hmm. to three, three different perspective entrance, including my beloved Preston Lyons, uh, who I'm incredibly biased when talking about, but uh, you, were you encouraged by what you were hearing from those clubs um, in the lead up to this thing, hopefully kicking off either next year or the year after? I was encouraged in the sense that the reason I wrote that article is because one of the biggest things I see in any of these conversations is how they're going to afford it, how are we going to afford it. So I decided to just flat out go and ask the clubs, how are you going to afford it? What are you doing to get the uh, financial plans in place? What sort of due diligence are you doing to make sure that you can afford it? And I went out to three clubs that I considered amongst the forerunners and they were all able to give me answers that showed that, yes, we're not just pushing for a national second tier without any sort of underpinning surrounding it. They were actually putting in the work. I mean, Preston talked about creating a wide base and it's not just relying on a, a whale or a white knight. South Melbourne talked about their membership bringing in 3,000 members and how they brought on in massive amounts of corporate backers. And, well, I didn't make the article, but Nick Mikus is telling me, the South Melbourne president, that in the event the second division comes out, they'll probably spend well over a million dollars on top of what the minimum required to compete in a national second division just to professionalise the club and bring in full-time people in merchandise, in membership, in administration, operations, that sort of stuff. Uh, the Wollongong Wolves, Strebray Dolovsky, talking about the due diligence that they were undertaking and making sure that this is affordable and reiterating that Wolves wouldn't enter a national second division just so they could enter a national second division. You know, that they that they wouldn't... It's not a suicide pact just so they can call themselves a national second division side before they collapse, which obviously I think... National Second Division talk can be rife with concern trolling. Mm. You know, perfectly reasonable questions that just keep getting asked even when you provide the answer. So what I was hoping that that article would do would, would be to give some insight about um, how clubs were going to afford the National Second Division. And I think we got three promising answers on that front. We've got a bunch of questions coming in. Alex asking, is it true the National Second Division start date is October 23? If it's a summer competition, yes. If it's a winter competition, it will be 2024. Uh, and I don't believe that's... We've got a, we've got a, we haven't got a final answer on that. Um, that's still a point of contention. Otherwise. From what I can gather, Victorian clubs want a summer comp. New South Wales clubs want a winter comp. Interesting. Um, has it been decided if the proposed National Second Division will be fully professional or not, ask Shotskis. I, I don't think it's realistic for it to be fully professional from day one. 
that would be my opinion rather than than fact, though. I think it's something you could potentially build up to. Joey, no, no idea. It's a minefield. I mean, mm. some of the stuff you hear about A League clubs, it sounds like sometimes some A League clubs aren't even operating like professional clubs. <laughs> um, I, there is inherently a risk with a national second division that whilst I like I'm playing devil's advocate here and I'm just trying to put forth a counter argument. Um, there's, there's a risk of letting perfect be the enemy of good, which I think is stupid. You know, you shouldn't have standards for the national second division that, you know, sometimes go above the A leagues at the same time. You don't want to lower the bar, like what the Wollongong Wolves, what Strawberry Dolowski was talking about a bit. You don't just want to have a national second division just for the sake of having one. You don't want to lower the bar so much that it sort of kind of becomes pointless, which I think maybe would be something like the Champions League model is, you know, it'd be the most affordable option, the Champions League model, but it would just be lowering the bar so much it would be completely pointless. So don't let perfect be the enemy of good. When it comes to professionalism, get it as professional as you can. Don't just say we're not going to be professional from the start and give up. If you can be professional, absolutely do it. Don't decide beforehand not to do it. But if you can't, but there's a clip. Like if you if you don't launch as a professional league, there needs to be a timeline and a pathway towards professionalism. I don't think it would be beneficial if there wasn't at least, even at least a skeleton of an outline about how do we get this league professional one day, I don't think it would be, I think it would just be a wasted opportunity, if nothing else, to launch and just say, we'll figure out professionalism at some other point. I would like there to be a roadmap to professionalism, just like I would like there to be a roadmap towards promotion and relegation from the A-Leagues to the National Second Division to the NPL, because you're not going to get promotion and relegation without professionalism. So if you want a roadmap to promotion and relegation, that needs, there needs to be a roadmap to professionalism as well. I, I, I think I've made this point before, but we already have a national competition where a few of the players are fully professional and most of them aren't, and that's called the A-League Women. So I, I still think the A-League women is a, is, an, is a worthwhile endeavor. Because a lot of those players have day jobs, but it's still a better competition than it would otherwise be if it was completely split up into states or whether if it was split up into conferences. Um, so I think a fully, fully, fully national, semi-professional competition is still, still progress. Hmm. I'm not arguing with that. Like I said, if it's, if, if it's good enough... Go for it. Uh, Yvonne's saying, I'm supportive of any club to enter the NSD as long as they get there on merit. A club essentially skipping NPL1 and moving directly into NSD wouldn't constitute merit. I think it's kind see, of... see, see, people say that. Like, I had South fans popping up in my mentions saying that about Preston. I assume that's about Preston, yeah, because it was... Yeah, like, would South fans be saying that if we were having this conversation last year when South had missed finals for how many years? <laughs> and it would be looking like Avondale would be a national second division side instead based on performances. Like, what, do you, what do you mean by merit? Like, what? It doesn't just mean how good the team is. I think it also means what crowds are you getting, what kind of 
commercial base do you have in terms of sponsorship? Like, like how much value are you providing to the new league? Like, it's obviously not ideal to do it on anything less than merit. Merit is the, in a perfect world, it would absolutely be based upon merit that the strongest clubs would be the best clubs and they'd be winning every year and there would be that natural demands like these clubs are just winning it all, all the time and they've got to go up. Like, I, but it's become increasingly apparent from Football Australia that that's not how it's going to work. And in that system, there's going to be other factors at play. Even the AAFC have acknowledged that, you know, it needs to be strong clubs with a strong foundation, with strong supporter bases, with strong backing that need to make up this thing. So, yeah, like Ivan's comment around skipping NPL1, that's Preston. Preston have the biggest crowds in Victoria week in and week out, outside of the A-Leagues. I think it comes back to you're letting perfect be the enemy of good if you don't consider them as a national second division side. Like, if Adelaide City hadn't won the grand final this season, if the Comets had won the grand final, would you let perfect be the enemy of good and say City weren't allowed in? It's that sort of thing. Um, you know, like, what was it? Didn't, so there's a whole bunch of different things. The hour is, is late and I think the hour is upon us, Joey. I think we've got to go Victorian grand final at this point. Um, like, there'll be... Nobody at me anymore talking about Victorian centricism and all that. No, I went into bat for you, bastards. <laughs> Joey has been waging a one-man, uh, one-man crusade on, on, a, on that, uh, on, on that particular issue. But uh, I, I think we should talk about this game because all three of us were involved um, to some degree. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. Uh, South Melbourne nil, Oakley Cannons five. Could any anybody have seen that scoreline coming? No, not at all. Um, I had concerns about South Melbourne going into the game, given the absentees, if you include Harry Sawyer's departure, uh, the injuries to Andy Brennan and Ben Jeeber. Um, and I had concerns about thinking, all right, well, how are they going to score? Like, how is South Melbourne going to score against an Oakley team that now is starting to get their full complement of defenders back with Oscar Dillon back in the back four now? Um, how are they going to create if Marcus Schroen was playing as as a sole number nine? So much of that was going to fall onto the the feet of someone like Max Mikola. And, I mean, they brought Jayingham into the starting lineup. And Jayingham, I mean, has barely played all season. I think that was his first or second start of the year. Um, and, I mean, from the get-go, Oakley just punched them in the mouth. They scored in the first minute. You know, they they for, for all of... We've spoken so glowingly of South Melbourne's defense. They crumbled like a cheap suit from set pieces, like first and second half of both of Aaron Williams' goals. And Aaron Williams is not a tall center back. He's quite a short center back. And for him to be getting free and scoring those goals says a lot about, you know, South Melbourne's defending from those set pieces. I mean, when they have three giants in Marco Jankovic, Jake Marshall, and Liram Almazi, you'd think you'd be able to sort it out. They've, They've... They've built this team around a good defense and been able to, to smash teams on the counterattack and win games 1-0. And then once Oakley took that away from them inside the first minute, it was like, all right, well, what are you going to do now? What, what what are you going to do now, Seth? Like, what what is your... Like, this is... You are in the unfamiliar position of having to chase a game. And South, 
in that first half, but it was still 1-0, never really looked like, as much as Oakley weren't creating as much after that first goal in the first half, might, might I add, it never really felt like South Melbourne were going to come back into the game. Now, one moment which I think was a bit of a flashpoint. Now, I actually personally haven't seen the replay of this. I want to ask you guys about this moment when Max Mikkola copped um, the head knock, and obviously he was forced to come off at halftime. I think it was Joe Knowles that uh, did the challenge. There was some South Melbourne fans saying that he should have been sent off. I mean, Esteban Quintas was vocal the entire game towards fourth official Adam Bavkar for decisions that he thought weren't going South's favour. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, was there anything to it? Was it an unfortunate, you know, occurrence? Again, South fans don't come at me because I actually haven't properly gone back and watched the replay. I've been bloody busy today. Um, what what's the like like what's the you know like do we do we see it as potentially there was a, a miss from Lockie Keevers not to send off Joe Knowles? Um, what do you think? I I don't think it was a red card. I. It was. It's hard to tell from the angles that we had on the replays and so forth. It just looked like a stray hand. I don't think there was any caution in the challenge. I. I, I don't. They were going in on Max Mikkola all day. Let's be honest. And the fact that um, Kintas started him as a ten and then as a striker for a little while there, uh, I think put him in the firing line a little bit more than he's used to. He's used to operating a little bit more space out on a flank. Um, so I, I think the, the lineup was wrong, but, um, Oakley clearly were targeting him in much the same way that South Melbourne were clearly targeting Joe Knowles. Um, there were, there was clearly the two best players were getting kicked and, um, maybe the repeat fouling something, someone could have done something a bit more about that. But in terms of that challenge in particular, that led to, I think it was an eye injury as far as I'm aware and a sort of a stray hand. Um, I, I didn't feel like it was it was an intentional action. I I felt like it was just maybe slightly careless. Joey, I didn't see it. Mm. Like I was following the ball, and my eye was drawn back because Max Mikkola let out a blood curdling scream and was smashing the turf in clear pain. Um, cop and answer, but I didn't see it. Like, yeah, obviously the challenges were coming thick and thin. I asked John Knowles about that at halftime, but cannot profess to have actually seen the incident at hand. Mm. But just on the, I mean, what happened after that in the second half? Because, I mean, you do take Max Mikkeler off and to play devil's advocate here, South's attack, they lose a lot with Max Mikkola gone. We spoke about Harry Sawyer. Who's the guy that was putting balls on his head all year from long throws? It was Max Mikkola. And you would have thought South's best avenue back into the game was going to be via a set piece. They brought Josh Rowan on, who's more of a defensive-minded player. You lose a lot. No Brennan, no Mikkola, no Sawyer from their best attack at the start of the season. Um, you know, it, a lot of that reliance fell on Alan Webb and Jaying him to, to do something and, and Marcus Rowan to pull something out of the hat. And again, Oakley kicked them in the teeth. Aaron Williams again, set piece. And then from there, it was it was over. I mean, Oakley just cut through them. South chased the game. The old cliche of risk getting back into the game or losing 5-0 literally happened. They went to a 3-5-2 and they got completely cut open on, in transition when they had uh, Pat Langler and Marcus Rowan as two deeper line midfielders. And they, they couldn't do much. I mean, you had the likes of Guest getting forward. You had Clark. You had Knowles. They were just running right through them. And then Yankovic got sent off and the floodgates just 
proverbially, if they weren't already open already, they they swung open and that was it. And it's a disappointing end to the year for South Melbourne. I think considering how dominant they were at NPL Victoria this year, playing that brand, which was, you know, to put it lightly, they, as we said, they like taking the lead early. They like being a, an arm and tortoise defensively and shutting teams out of the gate. It, it worked all year. But in the biggest game of the season, it fell flat and they didn't have that plan B. When Harry, we, we spoke about it, Harry Sawyer left. Mm. What was going to be their plan B up top? I mean, ever since then, they haven't looked the same up front. It's a massive loss losing Harry Sawyer. And there was a lot of reliance on Andy Brennan potentially leading the line or Marcus Schroen. And end of the day, it, it all came unstuck against an Oakley side who hit, have hit their straps at the right time. I mean, I, I gave Kintas the answer on on FNR not too long ago. Marco Jankovic, emergency centre forward. I'm, I, I've been saying it for the last few weeks. No one's been listening. But honestly, I I think the the one dimensional game plan was exposed in this in this grand final. It was so wet that Max Mikola couldn't get a drip uh, a grip on the ball. They even brought him out a pair of gloves at one point to try and help <laughs> with the long throws. But so reliant were they on that run one route to uh, route to goal or route to chaos in the opposition defence, then that when the conditions didn't allow for that, they had no other answer. And you know this season, South Melbourne had three key players: Javi Lopez between the sticks, who had a poor game. Um, and looked very panicked at times uh, in difficult conditions, driving rain, of course. Uh, Mikola, who went off at halftime, and Harry Sawyer, who went to Jamshedpur in India. So, um, but yeah, they, 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 the game plan crumbled. The formula crumbled. And uh, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't see this side necessarily being any better next season beyond maybe upgrading certain individuals. Uh, I think but- they kind of hit their ceiling with this formula. But also, it's a question of who do they retain? Because you'd think Max Mikkel is going to get some interest. I mean, we saw Henry Hoare get that move to the A-League men's after half a season at South Melbourne last year, where, to be fair, I mean, Max Mikkel has had a much more profound impact than than Henry Hoare did in that in those however many games they managed to get through in 2021. Um, you know, does, is he going to be back next season? Pat Langlois had, I thought, a, a pretty decent season as well. I think that he'll get some interest. But the big reliance is... If South Melbourne are going to go back to the same style of having a big target man up front and someone who is like Harry Sawyer leading the line, who is going to be that option? I mean, Josh Bingham just re-signed at Hume City. He's someone who's a big guy up top who's created chaos and is a proven goal scorer at NPL Victoria level. Who's the answer? Do they look foreign? Do they look at, you know, someone else from another a team that maybe we're not thinking about right now? Because there aren't many strikers that, that can do that at, at a semi-professional level. Um, unless you're willing to to basically spend a lot of money to bring someone in, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, Kane, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, go get Kane Shepard because, you know, Kane Shepard probably would probably want to stay at Heidelberg. He's had a great season there. He's a guy who probably fits that mold, but are they going to be able to pry him across? Maybe Luka not. Ninkovic. Luka Ninkovic would be a great shout to fill that role because he was yeah. relegated to the bench towards the end of Heidelberg season. He is a, he is a, a battering round. Hulking but- presence, yeah. But still, it's Harry Sawyer of what he did. Everything, yeah. everything. That's true. He's not. He's not on. He's not on Sawyer's level. But he could do an impression of Sawyer, let's so to speak. Um, but in, the other thing that stood out to me in this game is just the stranglehold that Oakley had on the midfield play. Um, and you know, South Melbourne had the second lowest passing accuracy in the competition this season mm. for a team that's top of the table. That's that's a hell of a stat. Um, and playing a converted centre-back in midfield in Liam Elmazi, 
Um, the guy works hard and he wins tackles, but yuck, like <laughs> just yuck. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like I didn't like watching them um, this year, and um, you know maybe five nil was harsh, but at the end at the end of the day, I think Oakley is better footballing side despite finishing third. Well, I think if you're going to play with Elmazi in that side and you're going to have Jankovic and Marshall, they should have gone with a back three for the whole year and played ostensibly mm. a back five. Like, that's literally what they were doing anyway in defence. But, I mean, I think there's a lot that South have to, to look at this offseason. I mean, they're still the premiers. Like, they've still had a great rise up the table. But replacing Sawyer, re- keeping the talent, and as well, building on what they already have, who they can retain or who they can't retain, who they can replace with such and such. Because they recruited very well this offseason and built off what they had in 2021. Can they maintain it next year when teams start to realize, you know, what South's kryptonite is and what they can do to pick holes in it? Because Oakley, I guess, put out the blueprint, you know, that teams next year, you know, knowing how NPL Victoria is going to be next year with Bentley looking for a full-time coach with... You can imagine Heidelberg's going to improve. You imagine Avondale's going to improve next year with a proper preseason. You can imagine Green Gully's going to improve. Imagine a lot of these sides next year. Port Melbourne, they're all going to come out and, and look to take that next step next season. So what are South Melbourne going to do? Because they're also going to have to find a way to improve in those areas as well. Otherwise, they're going to get left behind. This is a very, very competitive NPL Victoria, which I think next year is only going to get more competitive, especially in the top six and top seven, maybe top eight. Wasn't the only MPL grand final to happen this weekend up in Queensland in front of over 4,000 fans. Um, shout out to everybody who turned out at Perry Park for that one. Gold Coast Knights to Brisbane Olympic nil. Uh, uh, Croatian clubs in Australia just absolutely feasting right now, Joey. Yeah, indeed. It's another grand final win for the Gold Coast Knights. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when they were in the second tier of um, NPL Queensland and have come up and they've really set the standard up there and um Barnaby Joyce uh, Barnaby Josh's uh electorate <laughs> since then uh getting the win over Brisbane Olympic as well we all know Olympic led by uh Ben Khan widely considered to be one of the best coaches outside of the A leagues perhaps you know I don't he's not as worldly traveled as um Arthur Pappas was but potentially somebody in that sort of Arthur Pappas mold of somebody that's done his yards in the NPLs and is potentially worth a shot in the A-Leagues, albeit there's talk about how he might be trotting the well-worn path of Queensland to Victoria heading into next season. But also I have to give a shout-out to Pasquale DeVita's uh, goal in the 88th minute of that one to seal the game, a great solo effort. So, yeah, Queensland getting it done. And then South Australia, we mentioned them a bit earlier, Adelaide City getting a 2-1 win over the Adelaide Comets in there again. Adelaide, literally the Buffalo Bills Comets. They've now lost four grand finals um, in a row there in South Australia. Poor Antonis is um, coming through in the comments saying, to spare a thought for the Comets, uh, Scott Nagel, Scott Nagel, Nagel, I'm going to say, who uh, moved to the Comets in 2019. So he's lost four grand finals in a row. Prior to that, he'd been playing for Adelaide City and lost two grand finals before his move. So now the poor bloke <laughs> has lost six grand finals in a row. Um, Scott, fair fucks to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you do it. It's incredible. But obviously, Adelaide City, it's going to be in, like to go back to the National Second Division talk. 
it's obviously going to be a competition dominated by the Eastern Seaboard. The, I mean, the A-Leagues, as I put in my piece, only have two teams based to the west of Melbourne in the A-Leagues, the professionals here, Adelaide United and Perth Glory. So ostensibly somebody like Adelaide City loom is the most likely, but their ability to take part in the National Second Division, let alone WA, is going to be a very interesting topic moving forward, albeit a cup run and a championship is certainly going to help them out with that. And also need to reference in Western Australia, well, this lovely named, newly named because they thought it was cool, nothing else, nothing else, Perth Red Star. Well, they've done it in both the men's and the women's in the top four cup finals. Um, the men's team beat Floria Athena um, and the women's team beating the NTC program over there in WA, which has produced, you know, a few good young players in the past thinking about the likes of somebody like a Hannah Lowry that came up through that Western Australian program, Tijan McKenna, um, another one. So a decent amount of talent that's come out through Western Australia from that NTC program, but they couldn't um, get anything done on the day uh, as they went down to the newly named Perth Red Star 3-0. So I should look up the other ones around the ground, see what is it, where we've got NPL Tasmania as well. I think that was the last round of their campaign, if I am correct in my estimations. Indeed, it was the last match day, finished with Devonport City running away, running away with the Premiership, finishing 13 points clear of Hobart City. What else am I thinking of? Um, New South Wales, the men's has obviously finished, but Northern New South Wales, NPL, Look at should, it, we the the, um, should we mention the MPO uh, W in New South Wales with uh, yeah, the grand final next, next week? I was waiting yeah. for uh, Tao to maybe Tao can jump on and for a little late call of that, given that he's calling it. But that was going to be what I was going to get to. But the semi finals of Northern New South Wales NPL are set the Lantern Jaffers against Hamilton Olympic, Maitland versus Broadmeadow Magic after Maitland uh, got, won the premiership by a single point. Uh, over Broadmeadow Magic. So the loser of that game will face the winner of the Lambton Jaffers and Hamilton Olympic, the winner of that game, progressing straight to the grand final. But yes, Josh, the New South Wales WNPL grand final. Yes, and uh, we're going to feature the... Uh, uh, the, the uh... Make sure I get the name right. Northern Tigers, yes. Uh, uh, Shadeen Evans scoring a brace in uh, in that semi final win, um, which uh, over Sydney University, who's been a historically extremely successful side, um, and that the double she scored, especially the second goal, is really worth watching. It's on Teo's Twitter if you haven't seen it. She cuts inside with her left boot, lobs the goalkeeper from all twenty five meters, and that's the. Uh, the first evidence I've seen in a while of a much like vaunted prospect finally kicking on uh, and becoming the player that everybody expected her to become. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic to see that. And they're facing MacArthur, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, <laughs> MacArthur. Um, uh, Ben Smith pointing out in the comments that Red Star Women used to be Northern Redbacks, which was Perth's most famed. Uh, women's only club, so they've uh, they've piggybacked off some uh, off some prior history there for for their success. Oh, they've pulled uh, a Western United, yeah, crap a successful <laughs> women's program. <laughs> exactly, uh, maybe they'll be the the next A League women's entrance. Um, 
probably not. Um, but uh, gentlemen, I think that is just about that Ooh, for this Socceroos. One more thing. Socceroos. The game is going ahead, guys. Oh, on the, the public holiday. Happening. It's happening. Oh, are they going to have to pay uh, pay all the stadium workers time and a half or double it's time? It's going to cost them an extra million or something like that. <laughs> is the game oh going to... Have you guys heard that over in the UK, they can't get police at games, so they're doing some of them behind closed doors? I think it was you just, just said, Joey. T- just Rangers yeah, Napoli. Yeah, that's right. Because You're that needs like three it. times as many fuzz as normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... A Napoli away feds against Rangers feds. That's like putting Mentos with Diet Coke. Like that. That's not a, not a nice. Surely the Rangers fans yeah. wouldn't be in the mood for football at the moment anyway. Surely they'd be in a in a period of mourning. Yeah. Um, they might they might fancy punching a few Catholics. Just I want to imagine. <laughs> just just quickly. Thank you, um, Joey Lynch. <laughs> I mean, just just quickly. Maybe I speak from first hand experience, Josh. <laughs> Just on this game, if if you're not listening to it now and you're listening to it on Wednesday, you would have seen the Socceroos squad already. I want to throw it to you guys quickly because, I mean, it's a 30-man squad for two games. Uh, Some new faces has been teased. Uh, Who do we want to see? Quick, let's throw some names out there. Wait, who do I expect to see or who do I want to see? Expect, want, you can give both. I imagine we're going to see at least one cool. Yep. Um, if not, I both. imagine we're going to see Arzani. Like to see that. Cummings, mm. given that I imagine it's going to be a largely domestically based squad. Um, Tilio, I think it's a big camp for Tilio, especially considering that with the uh, foreigners now swelling Melbourne City's ranks with the arrival of Barisha as well, Valon Barisha as well, all of a sudden minutes in that attack. And the midfield and the like are getting very, very tight. So Tilio might need a big performance in the Socceroos friendlies rather than minutes in the A-Leagues to establish any sort of World Cup squad. Um, Interesting to see what Arnie does with the goalkeeping stocks. I imagine it's 99.9% locked in as being Ryan Vukovic and Redmayne in -hmm. Qatar. Um, But he does have that extra squad places to play for. Um, and is this potentially the last throw of the dice for somebody like, unfortunately, I think Mark Birigidi's time in Dundee, we can probably draw a line through him, but maybe somebody like a Joe Gauci, you know, who's been as a train on player in Socceroos camps before, maybe he gets a chance to come in and try to endear himself to Arnie. Also, Center backs positions and one. Uh, I got, I got one for you. If you I'd gonna, be if intrigued you to see. I'm not sure if he's tied when we've missed it. Does Dan Hall get a call up mm. in these in these camps to try he, to see whether or not he's got something? I'm not even sure if he's tied. To, if he's tied to Fiji, of course. I don't. I don't think redundant. he is. There was an issue uh, with his passport. Um, yeah. So that, that, that he was going to be called up. I don't think that's happened yet. Yeah, I'd also like to see you guys going to make fun of me for it. Fuck, call up Harrison Delbridge. He's <laughs> um, in, in I, Sean I... have just confirmed that they'll be. You know how they do the split season in Korea. In Sean have just guaranteed that they'll be in the top half once that split comes in. What about Pohang Steelers and Alex Grant? Yeah, yeah, but he's not in my boy stable. <laughs> Pohang Steelers are third. Yeah. Josh, who do you want to see? 
Who do I want to see? Um, I think Joey Joey covered off a few of the names pretty well. Um, I I'm keen for a bit more experimentation, and I'm keen to have a if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah, <laughs> I I would like that. I would like that, but I don't know if it's going to happen. I I think Garang. I just he could be a he could be a lightning rod. He could be a lightning I've... rod. Yeah, I'm going to throw up one name who I would love to see, and that's Alexander Popovich. I know it's a big, mm. big call, but I think if we're going to go give the kids an opportunity, I think Alexander Popovich for me, I, I think his form at the end of the season for Adelaide United was sensational in his form early uh, days of the Australia Cup, who I think we will see as well. And I think one name we haven't mentioned, who I actually genuinely think is a red-hot crack to get an opportunity. I think Jake Brim is going to get a call-up, guys. I think he's going to get an opportunity in this in this window. Whether he gets to the World Cup squad, I don't think so. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see him get an opportunity. As for Lockie Wales, I, I actually would love to see Lockie Wales get a chance. And I, I actually think he's going to be in the squad. Um, he was very, very close to getting called up for the, the June qualifiers. And I think that this might be the time that he gets that chance. Um, he put in a... Well, John Aloisi particularly spoke glowingly about his performance against Melbourne Victory in the Australia Cup. So I, I think if it, it could be him. And if it's anyone else, I mean, the two Western United fullbacks, guys, Josh Rizzo and Ben Garuccio, I think they've got to be in the mix. Do I think they're going to get called up? Not 100% sure, but I'd love to see them get a chance. Uh, Actually, I I have one. I have one. You're probably going to laugh at me, though. Luongo. Oh, yes, but he he hasn't played enough recently. I imagine Arnie's not going to want to rip him away from the club that he's just signed with when he's trying to train with them and endear themselves it's it's weird garuccio and riston probably less likely to get called up than brimmer and wales but probably a, a clearer path to playing time for garuccio and riston than brimmer and wales yeah like mm. even if brimmer gets a call up that central midfield is just so crowded i mean two games and- could be Basically, two different uh, no, teams. No, no they, they'll get the call. I'm talking about like playing time at the World Cup and like trying oh, to no, 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 way into no, no. like there's there's a clearer pathway to World Cup selection. For uh, I don't, don't get me wrong, it's not a good pathway for either of them, but there's less in the road for Garuccio and Riston towards Qatar than there is Wales and Brimmer. Yep. Even with you know like Awan Bill struggles as Cadiz. I think the wing slots, you know, Goodwin goals and assists. No doubt Goodwin will be getting a call up as well. I think the wing positions, very crowded, very settled. Center midfield as well, very crowded. Maybe not as settled, but still blokes playing. I, ca- I can't Europe. see Risden playing against France again. That brings up too much PTSD <laughs> from that VAR call. Maybe more Garuccio. But, hey, yeah. he, play- he played play ball against France. But like that left back position with Aziz Bayic, mm. whatever the fudge is happening with Dundee. There's an if we if we're looking at yeah, there's more. There's a clearer pathway for somebody to explode in a wing back position and a centre back position than there is in the mid in as a centre midfielder or on the wings, in my opinion. Especially with you know like Moyes move. I mean, even Rogic now reportedly on the move as well. And even Luongo, that centre midfield position is just getting more and more crowded. Just just on Garuccio, just quickly before we wrap up, guys, like John Aloisi said it, you know, he should be right in the mix. And, you know, it's almost baffling that he hasn't. And as you mentioned, Joe, it does his beige out of form. It's really just Joel King and Jason Davidson, I believe, are really the only two that 
ostensibly right now in terms of getting minutes, they're ahead of him. And I think if Ben Garuccio, if he doesn't get called up here, but he puts together a decent bit of patch in those first few games of the season, I reckon he'd be right in the mix. And I'm, I'm telling you, like his form has been good enough for a long enough period of time. Just before we wrap, Aiden Hrustich debuted this morning, 20 minutes off the bench against Lazio. Um, solid performance. It was a 2-0 loss. Uh, he played as a 10. For those who want to know, they went 3-4-1-2 when he was on as well. Um, not necessarily, you know, you can't really take too much away from 20 minutes, but it was something that it's good to see he's gotten some minutes. Um, and hopefully from here, we can see him start to get some starts as well. So good to see that Aid, that Aiden's getting those opportunities um, and against a big team like Lazio as well. It's been Nick, a long time you said on we've... Twitter you wanted us to bring somebody else up as well. Somebody signed to an Italian club that oh. made their debut in Europe. Yeah, no, it was great. It was oh no, genuinely, like this is this is not sarcasm at all. And like who who are we talking about? Christian Volpato. I think it's great that he got his opportunity against Ludogorets. Like this is these are the if he's not gonna go out on loan, these are the games he's gonna get his opportunity in. And um Okay, so for make... the listeners, Christian Volpato made his European debut for AS Roma against Ludogorets in the yes. conference league. Yeah, he came now off we've the brought bench. everybody else up to speed. Yeah, yeah, he came off the bench. How'd he, he, play? Was, he was he was quite impressive. It was quite impressive. They lost, but it was quite impressive. And we know Mourinho likes to make statements. They got thrashed 4-0 against Udinese the weekend prior. And Mourinho previously, last season after that, I think it was that loss against Bodo Glimt, he, he basically just, you know, cast the net far and wide for the youth players and said, well, you're getting your opportunity. Half these guys, they're out. Like, these regulars, they're not going to play. So, I mean, to that extent, it's no surprise in that particular game he got his opportunity and hopefully can kick on from here i i, I am very happy to see he got that opportunity mm. and he played well uh especially on a european stage as well you know and I, I i really hope he can kick on from here whether it's for roma put his name up in the shop window for january for a loan deal as well city R clubs would be looking at him there'd be teams that are looking to stay up that would be looking at players to come in in january and potentially help their cause I think he'd be a great player to look at. Even teams looking to get promoted to Serie A as well. So really great to see. And a lot of Roma fans, just quietly, were very happy to see him get some minutes. Um, I saw, you know, a lot of, a lot and a lot of positive comments about finally that they've given him an opportunity. And you know what? Great. Fantastic. Really, really happy to see that he got that chance. And um, I guess we'll just wait and see. Uh, what happens from here? So whether he it means more minutes, some starts. Um, I've generally forgotten if this is goes to show how far my brain's been. They're playing tomorrow morning. That that's Tuesday morning for you against Empoli. Uh, if you have this, so let's see if he gets that chance. Let's see if he plays again in the league. So good on him. Really happy to see it. All right, I think that just about brings this episode of the National Curriculum to a close. Joey Lynch, Nick DeBarno, thank you both for your company this evening and a big thank you to Taryn Hedo as well for her insights earlier in the show. Uh, if you missed some of tonight's live stream, catch it on the podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back again at a regular time next week. If someone would like to play the outro music for me because I'm not logged into StreamYard. <laughs>